Do you have a problem with the progress women have made in modern society? I don't think it's progress for women. I don't think it's progress for so women. So being able to vote is not progress. Then would like, do you want to vote? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the idea that voting is this giant world-changing thing that women have women have achieved, I think, is a, is a false measure. I don't I don't think that you that I think that sounds like progress, but it only sounds like progress because we look at the world in a particular way and say voting is power. Right. So women have power. Women have always had power. Women have power over the home. Women have power to nurture and raise up children to be loved and to be self-assured and to be but generous they, they and giving. And so and no, no, hold on. Hold on. Policies for them. Well, who, who cares? Who cares? Well, they- I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being to who they really are and in the marketplace of ideas these things are complicated man we all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints a genuine multicultural connection with another i mean sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree you just need to sit with it and digest G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast where we two Aussie blokes go on an idea adventure with our open-minded friends. That's you, friends of the show. My name's Conrad. And this is Matt. And new friends, welcome. Welcome to Ideas Digest. Uh, Old friends, welcome back. And super friends, super welcome. These are the people that went to ideasdigest.org, signed up to support the show, throw coffee coins at our head. Yes, thank you so much. You get the show ad-free because we're Mm -hmm. running ads now. We could even like create a song. Toss a, ta- toss a coin. <laughs> to your witcher. To your witcher. <laughs> Nerd Matt's on full yeah, form. Yeah. Sorry, obviously a witcher fan. Yeah. Except for Liam Hemsworth coming back. That's going to suck. Okay, we'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, they've kicked him off. Always left. Was he even in it? Who was what? he? Who no, was Liam Hemsworth is going to be the new witcher. Oh, you mean Henry Cavill is, is out? Yeah. <laughs> this is not the time to break I know, this to I'm me. I'm sorry. What the hell? Anyway, toss a coin. <laughs> toss a coin to your <laughs> bitches. To your podcasters. You'll get the show ad free. Bonus content and our eternal love and gratitude. For sure. You'll get full uncut interviews, which some people really appreciate. So, Super Friends of the Show, that's how you join us there. Matt, review or not a review. Ooh. I have a review for you. Did I pull it from our reviews or did I pull it from somewhere else? Try I make it up myself. Don't look at my notes. Here we go. Mm. It's what? It's a one star. <laughs> this might not be the day for is this, it. This is the day for it, guys. <laughs> this right? is not the day you for know, it. This is not my day. Okay. Obnoxious, annoying, cantankerous vacuous, vapid, and gullible. It's amazing that this show and these people have such a following to each their own. Really? I didn't... Well, we clearly don't have that much of a following. No, I, gave it away. <laughs> I was going to change that bit. That's Joe Rogan. What? <laughs> yeah. Not everyone likes... I thought it'd make us feel better about the other one star review we had. Yeah. Joe Rogan gets one stars. Well, if Joe Rogan get one, one star, we can get one star. <laughs> but if you want to help us out... Five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Leave us a review. Read it here on the show. Yeah. Really encourages us. Gives us that little pep talk when we're feeling a bit down. We're like, 100%. that's really nice. Often me and Conrad will be sitting at dinner and this is how the usual conversation go. How are you going? What are you reading? Oh, yeah, cool. Interesting. <laughs> Any feedback from the show? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a few interactions here. A few likes. Got a yeah, review. Got a review. Five star. And then we're like. What did they say? Oh, and then we're like, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. one star, we just ignore it because it makes us cry. <laughs> anyway, we are at war with the almighty algorithm. Mm-hmm. And Matt, if you want to help us fight the algorithm, obviously, 
algorithms, future overlord AIs. We're going to fight them from the beginning, from the get go. And here's how we do it on Ideas Digest. You take the podcast that you're listening to and you share it with someone who might like it and then someone who you know might be triggered by the episode and you do it in a, in a catchy way mm. that might make the person actually listen. And Steph77 sent uh, to her friend and she sent the episode Hillsong Exposed, Rats Jump Off the Sinking Ship. That's the episode. Ooh. Did quite well. Everyone really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. So Steph77 sent it to her friend saying, you went to Hillsong yesterday, yeah? Whoa. And then sent the episode. So good good one. And that was I love how short like open ended that was. Yeah, it's good. Open yeah, hook. Yeah. It wasn't just yeah, it wasn't just like uh I think you'd made the wrong decision. It was just <laughs> like a really reflective question. Hey, did you went yesterday, you yeah? Yesterday? I was just listening to this. I yeah. mean, I don't know, no opinions here. Yeah. Just an episode, great. Maybe episode. as soon as they saw the headline, they were just like here we go. I can make my own decisions. Here we go. I don't need someone to tell me what to do or not to do. Yeah, it depends on the friendship level, I That's guess. True. So Matt, onto a new topic today. Mm-hmm. This one is a challenging one for many people. I'll All begin right. with a beautiful little anecdote. Conrad, in Bali, I was surfing. I was out in my usual spot mm. and there was a bloke out, a French bloke. Was it Matt Potts friendly? Uh, just beyond. Okay. So Matt Potts friendly, tiny waves. Just Two a foot. bit bigger than Two that. Two foot, thrown out. Yeah, yeah. Well, not really, but <laughs> it was a good day. Matt Potts wouldn't have enjoyed it out there. Right, okay. Too much salt water in the yeah, ocean yeah, yep. at that day. And Too many currents? Yeah, there was one or two. Okay. Yeah. And so I was out there surfing and this, this French man, I'd, I'd seen him a couple of years ago. And a couple of years ago when I ran, in with, ran, out, when I ran into him the first time, he was not the friendliest man in the ocean. Uh-huh, let's say that. Tell me about this guy. So sometimes in Bali, what happens when you're surfing, there's people that live here a long time. They think they're locals. They're like, what oh, man, effing this, like swearing at people on the waves. Like, oh, what are you doing sitting next to me? Anyway, originally yeah. when I met this Dude, guy. You're a neo-colonialist that's here yeah, yeah, on, the, on your laptop. Think right. you own the place yeah, and I'm the locals. Like, I'm like, come on, mate. You're not a local, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I was, the first time I met this guy, he was very aggro in the surf. Three years later, I come back. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's this French guy. Judged him too soon. We're chatting away. We're having a good little chat. He seems Did you confess your biases to him? I didn't. <laughs> I was like French pastries. Yep. And a little bit racist. Arrogant. <laughs> Don't talk French or you get really yeah, yeah. scaled at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Get oh, maybe that's Parisian. The Paris people are apparently. Yeah, true. I don't know. There's the stereotypes I just there. They didn't enjoy me talking French when I was Oh, really? Friends, yeah. I always just gave it a good crap. Merci beaucoup, mate. Yeah. And we were getting, we were getting chatting and he was, you know, open up and politics is never far off the horizons. One, when you're talking to Conrad, but two, just in general. <laughs> And he gets talking and he was talking about back home, France, where he's coming from. Mm. And he had a conversation I've heard before. Maybe friends of the show, you've heard a similar conversation go like this. He was like saying, oh, in France, is it racist to do a French accent? Or are they, go for it. They're kind of colonials. As if we've got themselves. any many French listeners. That's that's true. I've looked and at the stats. And they'll leave us a bad review in French. <laughs> <laughs> no one will bother to translate it. Yes, yeah, just make sure it's five star. Yeah. And he was like, in France, you know, you have no rights. If you are male and you are white, yeah, you get nothing. If you are immigrant, if you are black, if you are from another country, if you are a woman, it's, you get more rights than if you, are, if you are a French man. Conrad responds, so tell me more about that. <laughs> it was a bit more of like, oh, yeah. Hmm, interesting. But the thing that shocked me, actually, the thing that didn't shock me is that this isn't the first time I've heard that talking point. Interesting. I've heard it from, maybe you've heard it from maybe your uncle, maybe your dad. It's generally boomer males, if I'm to stereotype a group (laughs) of people. It's generally like us men have it really hard done by, Mm. right? And 
I think this Recently is... Recently fans of Jordan Peterson. I was about <laughs> just about to mention Jordan Peterson. <laughs> lots of people are big fans of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, but sure. he's also... everyone Like, lots of people hate him. And then a lot of people love him and not just Christians. Mm. Which is interesting. I was talking to another bloke in Bali who was saying, yeah, I really like Jordan Peterson. This guy grew up atheist, still an atheist. Mm. He was a big fan of Jordan Peterson. Interesting. Andrew Tate, obviously. Mm -hmm. The TikTok sensation MMA fighter saying quite sexist things mm. to TikTok and ever and but massive following. Mm. So my question is this is a common idea that's going through society. There are these thought leaders that many young males are identifying with. Conrad thinks, why? Hmm. What is it about these ideas or what's the worldview that this is coming from? Because typically white men you would think the social narrative is we have it pretty good. Yeah, Privilege true. is the word that's thrown about there. We earn more, except in one industry, Conrad. Oh, what is that? Modeling. Oh, really? Yeah. How dare we? I not? know. <laughs> See, the whole thing's wrong. Oh, I'm going to rut to my MP, my <laughs> local leader. So I really wanted to understand these ideas. And I spoke to someone who really, really helped me understand these ideas. So- hmm. It's interesting with Jordan because I've been getting hit. I was getting hit with a few videos, which I don't know. It's because the algorithm's trying to serve me. Yeah. Similar, this backlash against feminism. Oh, and trying to trigger you. Yeah. It's just like Jordan Peterson roasts, you know, yeah. feminist person. I'm a, it's obviously, I click it. Yeah. Yeah. I've clicked that and one. And it's just like, and Jordan's just going, oh, you know. Why do you wear makeup in the workplace? I mean, <laughs> we like, can play that clip. He's in all the wars and he's just going on these <laughs> That's weird. an interesting Peterson. <laughs> Peterson. But you know, um, he's got this real wobbly, like, sort of like aspect to his voice. And he's now like, obviously post-resurrection. Yeah, he's, he's back. He's ordeal. He's back. And he seems to be really onto this, which is confusing. I guess it's just like, because- He's now on the front lines. Yeah. Like he went he went out and then tapped back in and he's on the front line of the culture war. He's like- I wonder if it's just this right wing contingent there where people can get, they can feel better. It's just like the Candace Owen fans. They can feel better about being a white male and less judged in society. You could place him in the category of an apologist for white males. Okay. But this is what's interesting. You know, we could be sitting here judging, going, but a lot of people identify, a lot of men identify with what Peterson represents and what this French man in the surf was saying. It's a very common idea. I set out to understand where this is coming from. Sure. Especially in the context of the political sphere, sure. because obviously everyone enters it from different um, perspectives. Lots of Christians love yeah, Jordan yeah. Peterson, but like I said, he's a smart guy. Many an atheist friend also loves Jordan Peterson. Best selling so, author for a reason. Like for, he's a great commentator, has a like really interesting mind. Yes. Why are people drawn to his ideas? Well, that's actually not really what we're exploring, but some aspect of what he, he represents. He represents what you're about to, I guess. I think so. Me, yeah. Or he's at least in the field yeah. and he trends well. So I can just tag Jordan Peterson and just get a bit more interaction yeah. there. Anything for the algorithms, guys. That's we serve, we worship the almighty God of the algorithm. And so I put it to our Ideas Digest friends of the show here on Instagram. And I said, do, I said, men have it harder than women agree or disagree. What do you reckon the Ideas Digest audience? It's going to be easy for our guys. What? They'll say, obviously not. Obviously not. 84% disagree. Yeah. But 16% mm. think men have it harder. So there's a good contingent of people out there who look at the landscape and culture today and say men are doing it tougher than women and mm. feminism is a problem. This is, this is very common. High suicide rates. Yeah, there's that. There's mm. the highest suicide rates of male, which is a good data point to point out if that's your yeah. argument. Probably on the... You know, in the whole like 
man, that's a complicated topic, but like the whole how, like how like divorces end up with kids. It's usually you, yeah, women. Yeah. And you've brought that up. Anyway, hold that thought. Okay, interesting. It, it's all relevant, I think. Well, I am a white male. So. <laughs> <laughs> I really channel yeah. this perspective. Yeah, I know. I'm like- Really well. <laughs> I really have to put myself in character to yes. understand these issues. Yes. So if you're a feminist friend of the show, buckle up. Because it's going to be an interesting one for you because you're going to really understand. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I really, I don't think I'm understating this enough to say that in this episode, it really helped me understand the Trump voter, the conservative Christian, the feminist hater, mm. the anti-gay activist, the anti-trans rhetoric we're seeing online. If you want to understand where this is coming from and how the worldview functions mm. behind it, this is the episode to listen to. So even if perhaps you would say, someone might be listening to this right now going, why am I going to waste my time? Listening yeah, who to this gives, it's, it's a, yeah, I hate this guy. I don't care about what he's saying. As we always love to say by this digest, you're going to have a conversation with this worldview at some point, and if not Christmas already. is around oh, the corner. <laughs> plenty of chauvinistic comments that are just backhandedly thrown around. And Uncle Daryl's coming to dinner. Yeah. So, Can you wait for those passive comments of just like, mm. "Oh, it's good to be served," and, and you the, have the that- women are in the kitchen <laughs> and the kids are playing. There'll be that moment where someone will mention something, and there'll be a pause afterwards, and you go, "You'll be thinking, here we go." <laughs> It'll be something like the lectures coming. Yeah, yeah. It's It'll, like they they knew they know they're on borrowed time or something. I don't they're know. They're watching too many statistics on heart yes. disease or whatever. They're like, I've got to slip this <laughs> slip in. Slip it in. So these kids today, they just need to know the truth. So consider this your antidote, your vaccine, if you will. Yeah. But if you're anti-vax, it's not a vaccine. No, <laughs> it's safer. It's certainly not mRNA. <laughs> no, it's tried and tested. Yes, just an antidote, a magic potion, if you will, yeah. to help you be better at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So. As we go along, Conrad, we'll also um, discuss the different points. We'll, t- we'll take you out some, for some breaks because I think it might be a little bit. Well, I like to point out to friends of the show what I'm trying to do when yeah. I'm talking with someone. So you might hear me interview. I have a method. I have an ideas, ideas strategy. I'm trying with everyone. Mm. And so I kind of want to like almost inside baseball, inside cricket. I've got you, Australia. Uh, terms here to be like, here's what I tried to do and we can break down. Oh, I should have done this better. Maybe that was a question I could have hit. So join us for the ride. So Matt, meet Will. Meet Will. And I don't know, maybe I'll show you I his- I don't like him for some reason. Poor guy. <laughs> Will. <laughs> what, a, what a judgmental guy. Okay, meet Will. Here's his Instagram page. Oh, interesting. Close to 10K followers. So- Post of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Renaissance of Men. Interesting. So is- it says, Is he some like Mark Driscoll fallout guy? Oof. Any connections to Mars Hill? Uh, I don't think so, to be honest. I reckon he throws a few barbs towards the Mars Hill types, not directly. Interesting. Okay. Um, so we're looking at his Instagram page just here and he's got a few posts of women, her smile, who she isn't, the renaissance of women. Mm. So it's like a very stereotypical, nice, beautiful blonde lady there. And then you've got some rugged looking man, men with beards. Um, They're all in the hunting. Looks like he'd be into hunting. That beard's well-groomed. And I'll, I'll, I'll play this little Instagram here. Just give you a little, like, this is how people encounter Will's account. Mm. And you'll see our starting point, right? Okay. For those of you who saw that Dr. Bronner's son is now a he-they and a cat, here's what you need to know. All oneist ideology ends in transgenderism. All of it. So if you think we are all one, guess what? That is the logical outcome of that philosophy. Because oneist ideology can't say there's any difference between men and women. It can't say there's any difference between good and evil. All things are one. 
So if you still hold any amount of oneist ideology, guess what? That's what's gonna happen to your kids. Because how are you gonna teach them that it means something different to be a man than it means to be a woman? How are you gonna teach them the difference between good and evil if at the root level, all things are one? So think real hard about whether you wanna continue having all things are one beliefs, all religions are one, all religions are equal, all religions are the same, because guess what? That's where it ends up. That's Will's Instagram. Everyone's kind of getting a sense of why I'm talking to him because in that, that, that right now is the front line of the culture war. Mm. That kind of transgender, your children, this is what's going to ha- happen. Some judgments you might be having after mm. just what, after looking at that Instagram and just hearing what he's saying. What are you kind of going to assume about him from there? Yeah, and there's a lot of genuine concerns, I guess. Like he's just, he's echoing a fear that's in a lot of people just saying, what will happen if I send my kids to school? What will they be taught? Yeah. These 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 core values, these moral values that have been, that America was built upon and Christianity is built upon, um, you know, it, uh, uh, under threat. Mm. Mm. So, But yeah. about him, when, you, when you're thinking, you, where you reckon he's from, you reckon he's gunslinging? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it, it comes across to me if I was to just quickly judge him. Um, it comes across to me that he's potentially Midwest. Midwest. Yeah. Conservative Christian. Conservative Christian. Um, just, you know, Probably feels, tr- you know, very, yeah. Probably a Trump voter. Trump voter. Um, gun gun rights. Gun rights, Second Amendment. Yeah. Probably yeah. American constitutions under under threat from those liberal leftists. Yeah. Um, that would be my assumptions that I kind of went with. And guess what? I judged him to his face. Oh, good. <laughs> Looking forward to this. <laughs> Will, really nice to meet you. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, I, I uh, run the Renaissance of Men podcast, Instagram page, and the Renaissance of Men is about the rebirth of masculinity that's happening around the world, which is a process that's been going on for about 40 years that I found my way into and that completely changed my life and helped me change my life. And I was like, there's so much to this and it's so complicated and there are so many different dimensions of masculinity that men are exploring how can I let more men know about this? So I started the podcast and a bunch of other projects, creating content, do coaching and men's groups as well. Put up a post on Instagram and we on Ideas Digest, we like to think, you know, we're, we're unbiased. We're on the moral high ground all the time. We like to think that of ourselves, but if we're honest, we're always judging people. I've just met you. Friends of the show on Instagram have just seen the promo I put up and I allowed them to confess their judgments that they may have about you, Will. They haven't met you, but boy, we've already got some judgments here. Really? So could myself and friends of the show, could we confess to you the judgments that we may have formed and you can correct them? A simple yes or no is always the most fun part of the game. So feel free to correct yes. as we go along. How does that sound? Oh, do it. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll 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 start off with a, a slow pitch for our American listeners, a, a slow bowl for our Australian listeners. Uh, this is great. Caitlin thirty six confesses to you. She says she's judging you as an MRA, which I'm going to have a hazard a guess and say that's going to be men's right activist. Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Sure. Yeah. That's what that is. Is that what you are on this judgment? Uh, no. The men's rights activist movement is part of the Renaissance of men. And the men's rights activists, these are men that have um, gotten absolutely hammered by the divorce industry in America, which is a $60 billion industry, um, which extorts men from their money and their hard earnings um, by no-fault divorce. 
Um, your, your judgment is unfortunate because those men have been through some stuff. So you would say you are sympathetic with the movement, but not a part of it yourself. I am sympathetic with the movement, yes, but I'm not a part of it. I've not married okay, or divorced. Uh, okay, so pretty clo- kind of close on that one and a near miss on that one. Okay, Craig3IRS uh, confesses that, Will, you're definitely out of touch with your feminine energy, yes or no? Um, I don't believe men have feminine energy. Well, that sounds out of touch, Craig. I think you've, I think you've got that one. I mean, you can't, uh, okay. I'm also out of touch with the clouds. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, you know. Okay. Better Health says, looks at your photo, judges from the hip, sees a cross, goes, oh, this guy's clearly a Christian because he's wearing a cross necklace, and therefore he must be anti-women. No, there's nothing, there, there's no religion on earth that's more pro-women than Christianity. Hard no from Will. A bit of health. Thanks for that judgment. Good confessing. This is great. Pet Five, friend of the show, Pet Five, confesses. This guy definitely voted for Trump. Yes or no? Yes, but only once. I didn't vote in 2016. Oh, okay. Got him. So pinned him. Okay. Julia Nold. uh, Oh, I did the gun metaphor there, and this has preempted the next one. It's similar. Uh, Will, she's judging you and saying, Will is definitely a gun holstered Republican I guess from Arizona. I don't know what gun laws are like there, but you're gunslinging Republican from Arizona, Will. Mm, I own I own a couple of firearms, but I'm registered as an independent. Oh, mm, very uh, a hit and a miss in that one. Okay, final one. Uh, Tracy, friend of the show, confesses this guy believes and reads the Bible as like a literal text, like everything in the Bible is literal. Genesis, Noah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. got him. Pretty cool. Was that, that, was the, that was the hard one, right? That was supposed to be the hard one. So, friends of the show sent through their judgments on Instagram. I put them to his face. 80% hit rate, maybe. Yeah. Pretty high. Pretty high on those judgments there. Radar and was strong. Radar was very strong. Um, now, what's he selling? So, he's from Arizona. He is a men's rights... I guess he's not a men's rights activist, which mm. was the judgment I put there. But he is concerned with... Well, I'll let him explain. What is it that you're doing? And if I'm in the car yard, I'm in Arizona, I'm kicking some tires and you go, this is a guy, I've got something this guy needs, might be a different form of masculinity, might be the renaissance of men, sell me something, I'm ready to buy. Sure. Okay. You're, you're, a, uh, you're a relatively fit and put together guy. You probably have a little bit of uh, success in your life, perhaps. That's, maybe that's one of my own judgments, but you've got your life square away. I like away. these judgments. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, so, that, so that's kind of, of <laughs> the way, yeah, the way that you present yourself, you're, you know, clean cut, well-trimmed mustache, and, and uh, you generally Thank got a good look about you. Surely you've met men in your life that um, aren't really in the same position. And maybe you've met men in your life, maybe some of your friends that just can't seem to get it together that for whatever reason, they just can't really pull together the discipline to be as successful as you have, right? Um, And you see so much potential in them, but they're not living up to it and you don't know why. And I would say you probably also know men in your life that are just so hard and they're so angry. It's like, what's going on with this guy? Why does he have to project and be so macho? Like, why does he have to take up so much space everywhere he goes, right? And surely you've seen seen a lot of that energy too. Both of those types of men are um, one kind of man who's been broken in half. And that's the situation that we're in today. You have a lot of very passive and very weak men that are unable to really assert themselves in life. And then you have other kinds of men that are too assertive and that they're too domineering. And what those kinds of men really have both suffered from, excuse me, what those kinds of men have both suffered from is deficiencies in fathering, 
which is a big problem. And that's been going on for about 150 years, going all the way back to um, World War One, World War Two, and the Industrial Revolution. So over the past 150 years, we've really lost a good sense, at least in the West, of what fathers are for. And after all this time, we've reached a point where not every man is as lucky as, um, as, as I judge you to be, to share judgments. And I was one of those men. I was one of those men who didn't know what I didn't know. So I set out an adventure to find out, like, what does it actually mean to be a man? Because I will be lucky to live 80 years in a man's body, but no one ever tells me what it is. And when I found the answers for what it means to be a man, I was able to put my life together and become the man that I am today. And I discovered that what I found changed my life and is changing millions of men's lives around the world and making them better husbands, partners, providers, and professionals. So what did you find? What's that product of what it is to be a man because it sounds like you're saying okay there's confusion at the moment you're seeing men who are struggling in life and it sounds like you're diagnosing the problem of that being these men don't know what it means to be a man maybe they didn't have a father growing up maybe they're not sure how to present in the world maybe they're too aggressive maybe they're not just not assertive enough what is what's the problem i suppose you're you're diagnosing there is there a reason why men or some men might be struggling and what is the, the solution to this for thousands of years um societies civilizations around the world only existed because of men that men were were not the sort of thing that you could build a society without because men were required to hunt the food and build the buildings right up until about a hundred years ago. And so in that world, it was kind of understood, this is what men are for, this is what men do, this is how we honor and value men. So in the first half of the 20th century, we went through a number of different cataclysms, among them being World War I and World War II and the Great Depression. And people started to wonder like, well, maybe men haven't done such a good job after all. Maybe men are the problem. Now this was ultimately political, power play, um, but it had a basis in some of women's legitimate grievances um, in, in, in terms of circumstances and, and situations. But the real meat of the matter is that life had become so comfortable, we didn't need men for the same things that we needed men for anymore. That trend has only continued for the past 80 years. So starting about 80 years ago, it's like, well, what do we need men for? Right? Okay. And then life gets comfortable. What do we need men for? Now that had two problems. The first problem that it had is men thrive on being useful. Men thrive on being honored. They thrive on providing and being successful and giving the gifts of themselves to people. But when you say, when women say we don't need men and you don't let men give their gifts, men wither and women have to fight for themselves. And so what you end up happening is you have men who are, who are like boys and women who act like men and civilization begins falling apart. It becomes, begins coming apart at the seams in marriage which is what we've been seeing. Families are falling apart and the children are suffering as a result and they don't know who they are anymore. They don't know who they are so much anymore that they're trying to change their own genders, right? It's like, I don't know who I am because there's no family to tell me. And so, you know, when you ask what, what's the problem, the problem was a devaluation of the contribution of men to society <clears throat> and the solution is a revaluation of them. But the solution is not to go back to the model of what men used to be in the 1800s or even the 1950s. The solution mm -hmm. is to reevaluate the role of men in light of our world today and recreate a new kind of masculinity that merges the best of the present and the best of the past. And that's what the renaissance of men is. And that's already going on. This is not something that I have to sell. This is something that's already happening. As far as I get it, 
he is probably correctly diagnosing men who are lost, misplaced, you know, not, sh- not having, having no purpose, then problematic mm. men who are like overly macho, like, I don't know, punching people, I don't know, problematic. People might classify as toxic masculinity. Um, I don't think Will would use that term mm. because that uh, toxic masculinity has a politicalization about it mm. because now one side of politics uses that phrase. He probably is on the other side and wouldn't use that phrase. But it sounds like he's saying men are struggling today. The whole honor thing was interesting what he said. I was like- They need honor. Yeah. And I was like, mm, I'm just, I mean, as a more of a radar of his worldview, potentially obviously being Christian. Ah, uh, okay. That's a yeah. bit of a, oh, it could be coming from the Christian side of it. Yeah. yeah. So I think what I've got is men don't have purpose. They wither away. They become either too weak or too problematic, like overly macho, like idiots, uh, which we all know some of them. And, and, and he seems to put it down to bad fathering and like men's roles changing, men not knowing what to do. And therefore, civilization is now at stake because men have lost their position in society. And now he's saying they have to reevaluate what the role of a man is now today when they're not needed on the farm. They're not needed to protect the women from wolves or whatever it is. And then, and they're not fighting. They're not meat shields in wars. Now what are men for? And I think it sounds like he's saying if we rediscover what men are for today and what that role is, that will help place men into society and deal with some of the problematic behavior. And he starts to link it in with marriages. So very quickly marriages come into this and then the role of women comes into this. So far it's still sounding very Driscoll 2.0 to me. I podcasted him a lot back in the day. Driscoll, like Mark Driscoll, the guy, the ex-pastor from Mars Hill who was semi-recently ousted for like pretty hectic sexism and problematic pastoral behavior narcissistic behavior but either way it was just like this is what he rallied his church around was this this message in seattle which was interesting because quite a progressive city and the message was men need like strong discipline like men win the war essentially if you're going to build a big church men need a war no men will win the war right you know they've lost their way um christianity's become very feminized look at all the lights the music it's very pink and you know it's like right and you did notice that like in a mm-hmm. typical mega church hill song thing it's quite mm-hmm. feminine the language from the front alienates men men don't get it so then driscoll gets up fundamentally saying what he's saying it's just like he's a strong male strong alpha male kind of like of like we need to protect women like harshly speaking to men and men yeah are like, yeah like oh yeah you should watch his like how dare you scream. i did i've yeah, seen yeah, that yeah. yeah so like he which just man, even young men and myself that was swept up in that at the time really gravitated. Respond to. Yeah. So so there's something correct in his diagnosis then. If sure. men are responding to it and almost appreciating a guy like this, he's a strong looking man, beard being like, you need accountability. You need this. Yeah. And Peterson, same message. Men need to clean your room, like stand up straight with your shoulders back. Like these are the lessons. Like the it's it's almost like, how a father would talk to a son, mm. not coddling him too much, just going, mate, clean that up, get to, sort out that nonsense and get to your room and do what you got to do. Oh, you think even, I think this is like, this is void right in society, this like fatherless epi- epidemic. Like you've done this, you've seen the studies on fatherlessness, yes. right? So like incarceration rates all up really high. And so you throw into this void, yes. this messaging, and it just germinates. Well, that's what he's talking about yeah. as well. The fatherlessness. Yes. So as we continue into his ideas, you'll see all this stuff Mm. linked together in his worldview and then we'll see where it leads. Sure. What is 
I suppose, the best of the past. Because as you paint this picture, and it sounds like a quite a like a high stakes picture of the progress or the destruction of civilization when you say like this is a civilization destroying pattern that is occurring uh which sounds like appeals to you know destruction of the family unit um men not being used in the same way or contributing in the same way that they used to people saying who why do we need men it people could hear that and go okay it sounds like you're wanting a picture of the past, but when they think of the picture of the past, they're going, oh, what, when men could own slaves, when women couldn't vote, when women were just property, when men kind of dominated the whole thing, when, the, when men were meat shields for wars and things like that. So you have, this, you have this picture of the past that, you know, you've said in a way we've progressed to, we've become more comfortable, you know, we don't have, well, we still got wars, but, you know, World War II was, was a big one. When you say bring the best of the past forward and then redefine what a man is to do today, what is that? So I appreciate you asking that question. The things that you highlight from the past are really telling. That you look into the past and you say slavery and women you know, being treated as property and not giving the right to vote. You look into the past, and, and this, you're not alone in this, and you only see backwards, backwardsness and you see, um, you see what, essentially what we've been propagandized to see that the past is. Now, the, the notion that people in the past were living these lives of misery and that women were miserable in the past, like women looked forward to getting married as, as much as they do today. It's, it wasn't like this idea that women conceived of themselves were property. They were, con they were considered property from a legal standpoint, right? But we didn't have the same ideas about legal ownership of property that, that we do today. So back you know, in the 1800s, 1850s, it wasn't like you know, they were being led around in chains or something like that, like The Handmaid's Tale kind of portrays it as. You had families that were raising happy children you know, all over, all over the world during when, when it was like, oh, women were property. It's like, no, there was, there, it wasn't like this, this total servitude and slavery. It was just an understanding that there's a domain of men where things have to be processed a certain way. And then a domain of women where things have to be processed a certain way. And the domain of men is handled in this way. And the domain of women is handled this way. And we can be compatible in those ways. And so when you say that, you know, okay, what do we need to reevaluate from the past? Well, it was kind of understood. It was kind of understood that the home was as important to the healthy functioning of the world as the market and as the government. So right now we live in this kind of Marxist world where we only conceive of power in terms of money and political power, right? That's what it means to be powerful. But prior to, we'll say the 20th century, there was something called moral power, which was the power to educate a family, the power to pass along values, the power to pass along love, the power to pass along kindness to children and the power to give them the gift of a stable structure to go up inside. So when you say, what is the best of the past? The best of the past that we've lost sight of is the value of home and family. And, and that actually started to be lost, by the way, during the Industrial Revolution, because in the Industrial Revolution, prior to the Industrial Revolution, you had the home was the center of economic production. So dad was home with the, with the mom and the children, and they were all there together making the family business go. Education, all the stuff was part of that. And then when you have the Industrial Revolution, you have the rise of factories. There was something in England called the Enclosure Act 
the Enclosure Act was when England decided that, no, you know what, we just own all this private farmland. It belongs to us now, and we're going to send men to work in the factories to foster the Industrial Revolution. So when you take away, when you take away the value, when you take the man out of the home, the mother, the wife, can't manage the home all on her own and, train, and tr take care of the kids as well. So then what do you have? You have the public school system came as a result of that. So that was the beginning of the family being torn apart, and we lost an understanding of what the home is for. That's really, it's really the ground to raise healthy children in. And so when I talk about the best of the past, the best of the past is a revaluation of the position of home in everyday life, the position of family in everyday life, what it requires a mother and a father to raise healthy kids for the future. That is absolutely the best of the past. And that's what we don't have a good sense of today. Because, because just, just to close the loop, because we look at the past and we see the past as dark and scary and bad and full of all these propagandized things that we don't ever want to go back to. We want to go forward to some bright utopian future in the metaverse. We can't go back to those dark ages. The fact is that those dark ages weren't so dark. It, it sounds like you're saying, hey, reevaluate what was in the past. And, and let's see what we can still learn from the past because modern culture has that trajectory of we're going forward and things are going to get better going forward. And I suppose that sounds like if you stereotype the political camps, you've got the conservative that looks to the past and says, well, this worked, let's keep doing this. You've got the progressive that looks to the future and says, we can make it better, let's change things that we've never done before and try new things. And it sounds like you're saying what was in the past that we need to bring forward was the value of the family unit that imparted values upon children and it was this stable structure in which to be the building block of society i suppose is that yes. does that sound about right yes that that's exactly right the family is the is the uh, is the atomic unit of society you can't divide anything further than an atom without causing a giant explosion which is what toby sumter talks about in his book no mere mortals wow that was interesting yeah so some things i Found interesting there. I think his diagnosis of when I was saying, okay, what's good in the past? So I think conservatives generally look back to the past and say it, there was something good back then or maybe it was all better back then and we need to bring what's back there forward. Mm. And progressives generally go, there's nothing back there for us. We've progressed past it. It's a bit primitive back then. We need to move forward into a better future and the, the best is ahead of us. And I think that's the stereotype of these two political worldviews. So listening to him there now easily fits the stereotypical conservative camp as he's looking backwards going, there was something back there, the family unit, the structure, the importance of the father, the role of the mother, this unit passing on morals and values. This is the strength and the bedrock on which society is built. And so he's looking back at that and going, we've lost that and we need to bring something like that forward. Yeah. Which I think is at the core of almost every conservative I've met. Yeah. And um, again, we keep referring back to the book Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt about the moralistic framework. Yes. He's clearly like pinging. It's just like radar going moral, moralistic framework. We've lost the moralistic framework. This moralistic framework is built by the family unit. Yes. Mm. And so with the breakdown of and that. And the family unit is mother, father, kids. Yes. So anything that deviates from that unit is the problem. And it's interesting, like he's attacking, like it's some interesting comments he's made about the industrial revolution. I'm like, okay, well, so, like, so like you've got some heart surgeon that's going to like work in hospital. Like, is he, he can't really work at it, like on a patient in his home. Like, is it like, obviously 
there's an element of industrialization that brought efficiency and yeah. and technology that only happen outside of the home. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a confusing statement for me. Like I hope maybe you might clarify. Yeah, he I, I put I press him a little bit and he isn't as definitive on the industrial revolution necessarily being all bad. Yes. But he is he is looking at it largely as well, I'll let him explain it. Sure. Talking about family. I suppose throughout history, there has been different structures of the family, the nuclear family being a modern kind of construction of the family today, mother, father, kids. And the nuclear family today, it's like, if you look at myself, I go, well, I wasn't really connected to cousins. We kind of move all over the country. It was just kind of, that was it. Mom, dad, kids, that's it. Whereas other cultures, and if you perhaps go further back in history, you had more connection to grandparents, cousins, a bit more of a tribe raising kids and things like that. When you talk about the value of a family unit, what kind of family structure are you talking about? Well, the, the, you know, you're getting to the issue of like the multi-generational home, right? The multi-generational home um, existed in part for the benefit of um, children to grow up uh, with the blessings of uh, grandparents, right? For that generational, that generational loop to be closed. What you, the, the nuclear family that you mentioned was, was um, a creation of suburbs in the 1950s. The idea that we could all own our little plot of land Right. And I have a whole I can go into a big whole thing about this, that we can all own our little productive. It's not really productive. Our little plot of land, you know, a home on green land and, uh, and, and have, a, have our own little grassy space and all that stuff. So that was the atomization of society. Right. Along with um, along with immigration as well was a, was a part of that. People moving you know, into the suburbs. So that was when you divided multi-generational families from each other into the into uh, singular nuclear unit homes right so when you talk about family structures you can add in grandparents and you can add in grandkids and you can add in cousins you know living nearby but the the thing that holds all of that together is a, a a husband and a wife and a mother and a father raising a generation of children so you know the the um without that once you tear that fundamental bond of husband and wife, mother and father apart, that's when everything else falls apart. Now, when you, you talk about the nuclear family and you move people into, you know, into, into homes and you throw in public school, because that's another, that's another factor, right? You talk about you know, the um, family structures used to be different. Yeah, what also used to be different is dad was working at the home and the kids were getting educated at the home as well. So it's not just that, you know, people moved, you know, into homes in the suburbs. It's that our entire societal structure changed in order to facilitate dad and then mom going off to work at the office. And so that left kids in the, in the care of the state. And that's when mm-hmm. things, you know, didn't necessarily go the way we would have liked them to have gone. Let's put it that way. Mm. It, it, it's interesting because... Because I hear you talking about family values and how that all on flows to men today. But at the core of it is this civilization movement into new ways of production, new market economies, new structures of society, and therefore how fam- how the, quote, family unit responds in response to what's demanded to exist in a society. You know, back in the day, they're on a farm. Jeez, we need to farm this wheat pump out more kids, get them on the farm because we need workers type thing, right? That's a response to the environment there. And now we've moved into, and like you've said, an atomized society. Are you critiquing modern society and the way in which society is structured today that has then resulted in these suboptimal 
design of the family unit or do you think there's a do you think some of the progress that's been made towards um like public school having education centralized having parents be able to go out and work and things like that and have higher standards of living perhaps because of some of these modern economic structures are you critiquing those structures or are you critiquing the lack of ability for the family unit to adapt in a way that is healthy really critiquing the the unchallenged values that lie beneath all of that the idea that um, we are not individual beings with souls right that we're units of economic production and that our purpose on earth is to produce right uh, as much as possible to generate as much money as possible to generate as much you know, wealth and comfort and, and luxury as possible. Those are the generally unchallenged values of, um, of I would say, crony camp capitalism. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with capitalism, but I think once you start driving things into the uh, direction of like giant corporate capitalism, you know, that can suppress, that can easily suppress, you know, uh, the church which is supposed to counterbalance it in terms of values and the government as well, then you start getting into a pretty destructive kind of cycle. So if you, if you go back to the idea that we as individual beings <clears throat> have souls, right? There's that cross again, right? That we are as individual beings have souls and that we are divinely made and that we are here for more than just to make money and produce and that we're here to be grown and cultivated into beautiful examples of, of human beings to glorify creation and the creator, then you structure your society very, very differently than, um, and, and that started, you know, that's, that's the, really the idea that I think needs to be challenged beneath all of that, because we don't necessarily live, I mean, we live in an economic system, but we also live in a big field of ideas that we don't actually think about. Right. And so we have to think about those ideas. What are the philosophies that underlie the world that we live in today? Let's challenge those. And that's what I'm trying to do is say, like, you know, there were things back then that people understood about the meaning of life. Right. Not to put too fine a point on it about why are we here? And we've lost that with atheism and materialism and crony capitalism that we're here to, we're, we're a bunch of fizzing chemicals with no purpose that evolved due to act due to cosmic accidents. And let's just make a bunch of money and have a bunch of fun before we die. That's kind of, you know, the way that society's organized now. I don't think it serves anybody because it leads to a bunch of all these conclusions that don't serve anybody versus if you think about our purpose on earth is um, to love, to be loved, to be fruitful, right? To be, to be not prosperous necessarily just economically, but prosperous in terms of the, of the heart and the spirit. And that, that prosperous, prosperousness, is it pro, prosperity? That's prosperity. The word. <laughs> prosperity. Um, that instruction happens in the home and in the church and in the places where values mm. are communicated. And it also happens, and, and it also happens that the, the place of the home is the place of the mother where the values can be communicated. So, you, so someone said earlier that um, I'm a Christian, I probably hate women. Well, I don't think that's true at all. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, first of all, I don't hate women and Christianity doesn't hate women. Christianity understands women to a very deep and beautiful degree. That's very healing to them. That gives them a place of honor of recognizing that love and values and nurturing and support comes from the mother 
to the children to raise up the next generation. And so all these things, um, I hope we're seeing that all these things are connected. Mm. At the core of it, it sounds like you're saying your assessment on modern culture and modern society does not see the human as anything more than biology. And therefore you're seeing an economic system set up around that is designed to use people as units of production to create more wealth for large corporations or just for society as general or just, and this is, it, it sounds like you're saying there's the sense where friends of the show, atheist friends of the show listening might go, okay, so he's saying like we have a soul and that's a metaphysical claim. But you're also saying that from that claim comes this idea of we are more than just commodities. We are special. We are unique. And if you take that premise, then you're saying that this idea will move us into a different pathway, not just accumulating as much wealth as we can, not just using others for our own economic game, but it, you're kind of stepping into going, well, the meaning and purpose of life is to love and connect with people and things like that. Does that sound about right at the core of what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big, that's a big part of it. The problem with the atheist mindset, it has, it has no ability to say that one thing is better than another, right? Cause where do you get your ultimate morality from? You know, if you mm. look at, if you look around at nature, like the atheist denies that there's any metaphysical things, to reality, that everything is just matter, right? That's, that's the atheist. There's nothing, there's nothing beyond what we can see and measure, right? Okay. So if you're trying to figure out how you want to organize a society based on just what you can see, right? And we're, and we are as humans, just evolved animals, right? We're just fallen apes, right? Apes who fell out of a tree. So if you want to figure out how to organize human society using just the matter that you can see around us, well, what, what do we look at how animals organize their society? Animal society, right? Quote unquote, we don't really, there is no animal civilization, but if they were to have the, the, the way that animals organize their society is, um, survival of the fittest, right? You, you, uh, if you look at prides of lions or you look at gorillas or you look at complex mammals, there's just death and destruction and, and, and chaos, right? And, and power, the sheer exertion of power. Right. That's the, and so if you're looking from an atheist standpoint to say, how should we organize society? It's just about power. That's, uh, that's the only, that's the only principle. The person who should rule is the person who could exert the most power. Right. And so that's, that's the end product of an atheistic worldview. Um, and in that, in that um, worldview, the only thing that you can really say is that the thing is, that is right is the thing that exerts the most power over somebody else. Right because power is how animals organize their society, right? You can see examples of, uh, you can see examples of love, like the, the antelope giving birth to the little baby, right, on the, on the savannah. And then a split second later, here comes a big lion, swallows up the baby and runs off like, welcome to earth, goodbye, right? And so, um, so I, I'm happy to make metaphysical claims because the metaphysical claims that I make actually have the ability to say, here's how we as human beings should organize our society to make humans thrive. So what I appreciate about him as a person, really articulate, really yeah. sews together the ideas really well and has spelled out his worldview better than any conversations I've had with any other people. And what I want to draw people's attention to as they're listening, feminist friends of the show, atheist friends of the show. So lots of words in there that are going to trigger you like, oh, come on, mate. And you, you're already going to be disagreeing. But I do want to draw people's attention to the, to the common ground that you would find within what he's saying. There is more to the individual 
than just a unit of production. Yeah. Right? There's more to us as people. And, and I feel like that's the common ground that I think we're all grappling for. Like we're more than this, like the, the leftist unionist movement being like, we're not just cogs in your machine. Yeah. Like pay us something what we're worthy. We need a living wage. Like it's, that's the center and the core that I think everyone can agree with before we deviate off into the, whether we disagree on his diagnosis of the problem, which is what seems to be the breakdown of the family unit mm. and that mother-father nuclear family unit and the failure of values to be passed on through that unit. unit. Um, so whether you disagree with that diagnosis of the problem, um, it's interesting to note what I think people would agree with at the starting point. And then, we'll, and then note as you go along where you leave the train, where you jump off. Obviously he's a creationist. And so um, how you can see his reasoning going backwards from that is in the sense that if God created the family yep. in Eden and sin and fell, we fell away from this. And because God created this, I, humanity, we're special. Yes. Yep. But you then he was, he was really rallying back against evolution he even dropped in Marxist. Yes, if you can point. ignore those words, yeah. I think you like everyone can kind of go, oh, I, I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. Yeah. If, yeah. You can really celebrate those things of like, yeah, family, love and family. Even if an atheist record. won't come to the party and say, oh, I think we're special because God created us. I still think many atheists go, no, I'm a humanist. I think there's something special about humans. I do sure. think there's something like the human life is very valuable, you yeah. know. Um, you know. So, I, so <laughs> there's this language where we focus on but I'm, I'm just drawing people's attention being like, we, there is a core there. There's a starting point where we all kind of can agree. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And maybe that's what you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, like, yes. I feel like if you, if you give him evolution at this point, the whole thing breaks down. You reckon? I feel like it's just like, he's just basing this whole thing upon like some divine pattern. And, and yeah, I'm like, but but you can you can skip that explanation and still come to the so you can skip you can try and like poke holes in his argument being like oh but if evolution your whole thing crumbles, but I think the humanist and the Christian come to the same point where they say the human is special and more than like human rights are not just a Christian thing, sure. And I think that's the core I'm trying to say. However you get there, we end at this starting point. Mm. We all come from somewhere. We get to this starting point that says humans are special. And we shouldn't be exploited and we're more than just a unit of production. Yeah. Fair call. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So let's start there. And obviously, Ideas Digest, I've judged him. I've explored his idea and dug a little bit. Now it's time to humanize the guy because he has a story. He has a journey that led him to his worldview. And I'm always curious as to what that journey looked like. So it started for me in uh, 2001. So I was in college and I, I grew up and I was always a very, um, a sensitive boy, right? There, there are some boys that are more emotionally sensitive and some boys that are more physically capable. And that just seems to be how men fall. Like you're, you're born generally into one of two camps and it's usually the job of, of a father to cultivate, um, to cultivate the, the son back in the other direction of his weakness, right? That's just part of being a man. So I, I was a very sensitive boy who was always very, very good at school. And that was how I was raised to be, right? I was raised to be, um, to, to perform and achieve in an, in an educational context. And that's what I did. But there was never any notion of, um, of training me in terms of physical capability. Those are the values of my family. Those have been passed down. But the thing was, 
I looked around at the images of masculinity that were being presented to me by the media. And that was like football and pizza and beer and stuff like that. And I never related to any of that. It's like, that doesn't have any call for me. I never, mm -hmm. that was anything I, I participated in or I found interesting. I always liked science fiction books and I always liked, you know, thinking big ideas and, 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 and kicking ass in school. I enjoyed that aspect of it, but there was, it seemed there was this whole aspect of masculinity that was foreign to me. And I interpreted that to mean that, oh, I'm broken. There's something broken mm. about me. And then when I went to college, I took a, a class on Carl Jung. And uh, in that class on Carl Jung, there was a whole big thing about uh, the Lord of the Rings and how the Lord of the Rings um, expresses different aspects of masculinity. And that was the first time that I had ever, um, that I had ever heard or come to the understanding that like, wait a minute, there's nothing broken about me at all that I have this inner life that um, I'm supposed to have, that I'm, that I'm actually whole and, and I am, um, there's something beautiful and unique about me as a man. And so that was what started the process. And I kicked around those ideas for about 13 years until finally in um, 2013, uh, I discovered an organization called the Mankind Project who runs, uh, who used to run something called the New Warrior Training Adventure. And the New Warrior Training Adventure is a men's initiation. And I went on that men's initiation. For those of you who don't know what initiation is, for thousands of years, it was understood that um, a, a man, that a boy needs to be turned into a man through the process of initiation, which is the, the, uh, the fathers, the men of the tribe go and get the boys at roughly puberty, the generation of boys that are at puberty. They take them away from their mothers and they take them out into the woods or in, into the desert or whatever. And they put them through a series of trials and generally, if you survive, um, then you, you, are, you are strong enough to hold the weight of the tribe. You have survived this initiation experience, so now you are strong enough to, to fight on behalf of the tribe. And so what these little boys learned from the, um, from the father, they were acknowledged as like, now you are a man. They were given, they were, manhood was bestowed upon them. Like, and they, oh, I'm a man now because they were recognized in the, in the eyes of their elders. Okay. And so then they would grow up into men with the full responsibilities of the tribe. Our society has lost that. And so what you have now is you have a lot of adult males driving around, like driving, a, you know, boy psychology, driving adult male bodies that are uninitiated. They're boys inside because they haven't had that switch flipped. So I went on an initiation. Weekend. Is that, sorry to interject. Is that, switch that's flipped is that from having a tribe of males or men accepting you and saying you are a man you are one of us or is that through the hard trials that an initiation would be it's both it's both so to survive in an here's here this is my theory my theory is that to survive an initiation, because it is truly, it's, it, in many cases, it was a life and death thing. You can look up men's initiations in places like Africa and you see little boys covered in ants, like you don't want to watch it, but like covered in ants and they have to make it through the night or something like that. In fact, in the movie um, 300, King Leonidas has to go into the snowy field and kill the wolf, right? That's a portrayal of his initiation. He kills the wolf, he gets to be a man, right? So in that moment, something really important happens to the boy. He has to reach beyond himself to make it through. He has to reach to something higher than himself, and he has to reach deeper into himself than he's ever gone before to survive the initiation. And 
the only way that he can get through the initiation is to do that. So he reaches up, he reaches down, he makes it. And as a result of being able to stretch himself to survive, then the men say, you have passed the test. So it's both. It's what you do, mm -hmm. and then it's bestowed on you. Those two things are connected. Your journey when you did the men's initiation, was it, was it a similar combination of doing something tough and having other men, like you were saying, you saw models of other men going, hey, I'm a man as well, but I'm not one of these football athletes or quarterback type stereotype. I enjoy these sorts of things. But it's that inclusion of, but you're also a man. It's just there's different different expressions of masculinity. Yes, you nailed it. You nailed it. So there was a bunch of men. The magic that the Mankind Project, Project had was that they had found an initiation process that men could do that, was, that really in, involved risk, but that didn't risk you dying. Because no one wants to go off to initiation like, hey, I might die, <laughs> right? Like, great, great customer, <laughs> great reviews on, on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Customer retention, not so good. Yeah. So, it's 50-50. 50-50, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so they had come up with a series of processes to initiate men that was definitively you had to do something very, very difficult you, that you could fail at and that you had to re reach higher and deeper within yourself to achieve it. And then when you achieve it, you get recognized by a tribe of elders. And so I went through with about 60 different guys. This was a worldwide organization. I went through with about 60 guys and I got to see that, you know, there were, there were men like me who were, you know, a bit more sensitive, let's say, but then there were guys that, that looked like they had it all right? The guys that were super fit or super successful, you know, you would look at them, you know, and it's like, oh, that guy's got it all figured out and get to see that like, no, this guy's carrying pain also. This guy also is struggling to figure out who he is. Maybe he has some of the external status markers sorted out, but he doesn't have any more answers than I do. And, but we as men can all find these answers together. And I'll never forget when I went through that and I recognized that all the separation that I had felt from men for at that point, 35 years of my life was artificial. That men have more to offer each other and gain from each other than I had ever been led to believe. And it was a very, very powerful experience to see all these different kinds of men coming together in real bonds of brotherhood and joy of what it meant to be a man. And that really affected me. It affected me very powerfully. I'll never forget that afternoon when I realized that. I can almost picture the moment standing in you know, a, big, a big cabin hall full of other men being like, how is this real? This is everything about men and masculinity that I've been told doesn't exist. Because I believed the lies about myself. I believed the lies about men, right? But it, I found it wasn't true. And so then I got back from that weekend and I joined a men's group. Um, and I sat in a, in a circle of men, about eight men, every day, every, sorry, every Monday for about two years. And we all just got to sit there and talk about our lives, like what, what we were struggling with, you know, the really serious challenges that would come up and come down, the stuff that had been with us for years and get to make good on that and be like, yeah, and, and really support each other through very tough times. I also found a male therapist that helped me work through a lot of things. And through that process, I realized that what I was lacking in my life was an understanding of what it meant to be a man and that I was able to claim that. And when I was able to really claim that, that was when I really began to change my life. And I liberated myself from a lot of bad decisions that I had made that I felt like, um, that I felt, I, I, I lived very passively 
and I, I just kind of accepted that, well, it's just got to be this way, and I'm a man, and I'm a bad person, and if I try and assert my desires for life, that just makes me another bad man like all the rest. And then I realized, like, no, I'm a human being, and I have, um, I have one life. And I not only have, uh, have the right, but the responsibility to lead my life in a way that isn't hurting anybody, but that fulfills me. Um, and as a result of making that decision, which um, my cousin... There's a long story behind this, but my, my cousin called me after I made some big changes. And uh, the last thing he ever said to me was, well, that was the ballsiest thing um, you could have ever done. And he passed away several months later, but I'll never forget that. Um, that thing that he said to me was being acknowledged that I had made a very brave decision that ultimately led me to travel the world. I've been to 30 countries and six continents, India, China. Australia. I've explored Australia quite a bit up and up and down the East Coast. And I've even been to uh, Alice Springs out into the outback and Uluru. And, uh, and that changed me. And I realized that the things that I use to change my life as a man can change other men's lives as well. Reading recommendations for BF Shill Iron John by Robert Bly. What I'm hearing in your journey is growing up, not seeing yourself represented or fitting the stereotype of male and what that is to be, not having anyone around you, I guess, guiding you, supporting you, providing some level of structure to teach you how to fit into this world. And then when you go to this men's initiation retreat, you are, your definition of what a man is expands. You're encouraged and you're challenged and you see what you're capable of and you're also included by a group of men saying we all belong, but so do you. You're part of this group as well in your unique way of showing up in the world. And it sounds like that level of acceptance, challenge and empowerment taught you something about yourself that gave you the confidence to move forward and take the next step in traveling the world. And it's just that momentum builds of you going, well, I, I probably can go you know, out alone and see this country and do these sorts of things. And then that confidence breeds something else. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's close. It's it's definitely um, it's definitely really close. I had wanted to travel the world um, f at that point for about fifteen years, and I could never figure out where that desire came from. It was just part of me. Like my family didn't travel, but I didn't want to travel because my family didn't. It was just the thing that I wanted most in the world. I, I couldn't explain why. And so um, there was an acceptance component of it, but it, it, it the feeling wasn't so much of. Um, I have been welcomed into a circle, which is kind of the feeling of acceptance. The feeling was like, I've been standing inside a circle my whole life and all of us have been as men. And now we realize that we're standing inside a circle. Um, and so that's a very different feeling than being welcomed in. There was that aspect of it, but it was a recognition that there is something called the male experience, what it means to be a man on earth, what it means to be alive in a male body what it means to be a man throughout history. And we're all part of that. And the reason why we don't feel that is because we're disconnected from each other as men. We're disconnected from our fathers. We're disconnected from our grandfathers. We're disconnected from our great grandfathers, which is how those, those values of masculinity used to be passed on. And that chain was broken during the industrial revolution of world war one. So, so when I say that I didn't learn those things from my dad, I love my dad, my, you know, my dad and I talk all the time. My dad didn't learn them from his grandfather, and I got to know my grandfather. My grandfather didn't know to pass them on, and I don't even know who my great-grandfather was. So this broken chain that, we've been, that we as men and women too have been living in has now manifested in all these societal ills. We don't know what a man is. 
we can't say what a woman is, right? If you've, what is a woman, that Matt Walsh documentary, we don't know what a man is. We can't say what a woman is. We don't know what a family is for. We don't know what a, what a father is for. We don't know what a mother is for. What's it all for? Let's just make money. Let's just make a lot of money and have a lot of fun. And so you can see, and then, and then there are these giant corporations. They're like, we can help you with that. (laughs) Right? How amazing. Right? And so the values based component is to say, what if there's more to being men and women than we've been told? And, and what if, what if there's, what if Christianity has something to say about it, which it turns out that it does. Mm, it, it sounds like your, the, the diagnosis of why men are struggling and purposeless and don't know who they're supposed to be, what their role is in society. It sounds like you're, when you're diagnosing that problem, you, you come back to society, what we spoke about before and saying, if we are just units of production, that, that story and narrative crowds out the other elements of a human being and men in particular, if we're talking about men's role as units of production, they've been the primary value of the unit of production, whether they're on the farm, in the factory, on the front lines of the war, their lives have always had always been used as some unit of production, some value unit. What can we extract from the human capital machine? And it sounds like you're trying to reconnect I suppose a, a soul into the man going, well, are we, are we as people, but you specifically just talking about men cause you're one and you go, well, what if, what if we as men are more than just units of production? What does it look like to reconnect with, I guess, our emotional journey? Where are we going? How do we connect with other men in this dialogue and add depth to masculinity that has been extracted through what sounds like you're diagnosing primarily as commodification of the human being. Yes. Yes. Mm. You know, they're there and it's not men have been units of economic production, right? For sure. Like, you know, men have been responsible for um, three things, protecting, right? Providing. And um, Ryan Mickler of the order, order of man says preside the, um, Daniel, my deacon at my church yesterday said priest, right? I happen to like priest a little better, but, um, so it wasn't just about production, but there's a difference between, um, being a father on a homestead, right? Where it's your labor and your hands that are harvesting wheat or, you know, whatever, tending to cattle or whatever it is, you know, whatever that kind of farmer or being a blacksmith or being a tailor, right? Making, making something with your hands and creating it. And, get, and selling it to somebody or trading it with somebody. That's very different from I'm going to go mm. sit in an office and I'm going to type keys mm. and move knowledge and information around. There's a, there's, a, there's a sense of like, no, I've actually created something. And also the fa- that father wasn't out of the home. His blacksmithing shop was part of the home. He was there with mm. his son and he got to teach his son the trade. He, they were there, you know, in, in close proximity as Robert Bly says, murderously close proximity, right? That was how, and I can read, I can read that quote actually, which might be good. This is Robert Bly from his book, Iron John. He says, the traditional way of raising sons, which lasted for thousands and thousands of years, amounted to fathers and sons living in close, murderously close proximity while the father taught the son a trade, perhaps farming or carpentry or blacksmithing or tailoring. As I've suggested elsewhere, the love unit most damaged by the industrial revolution has been the father-son bond. Right. And so 
in that image of being a unit of economic production, it's more than just the work. It's actually teaching your son to work. It's teaching your son the values of work, teaching your son the values of caring about what you do, of attention to detail, of doing things the right way, of passing on a tradition from you know, great-grandfather to father, to you know, great-grandfather to grandfather to father to son. You know, my whole family is blacksmiths or tailors. Now you are too, and you will inherit these tools. There was so much more in the unit of, in, than the economic work. production. There was some va- the value of work as well. Mm. Man as worker. You, you, you're, you're expanding work as, you know, and I'm sure people have this in their, some people have this in their jobs as well, their vocations. They're going, they, the work can be a means of connection with family, with other people. It can be a, a, you can craft something and you can be making money from it. That's fine. But you can also take pride in it. You can also personally challenge yourself. That work can do a lot of things for a lot of people. And it sounds like you're saying the, work in the form of the industrial revolution where you're a guy putting one component onto the wheel you're robbed of the joy of the completion of that task you have no ownership over the um the end product really you're just a cog in a machine and then you go home at the end of the day and all you kind of have to show for it is your paycheck and you're not getting the connection because you're not supposed to talk to anyone you're not supposed to look left or just put that fizz bit on the widget and that's your job and, and that's what you're supposed to do i i wonder if when you're talking about this when i hear you talk when I first came across your account, I saw it and I went, oof, friends of the show are going to be challenged by this guy. And so I go, great, I'll get him on. Will's been willing. It's awesome. And when I hear you break down your journey and what you feel is at the core, what humanity is struggling with, I really feel like there's not much people would disagree with. And I suppose as we move through the areas where people will have find some tension with what you're saying. I don't think it's it's a lot of what you're saying there. I think a lot of people across the political spectrum, across whatever spectrum you find, people would go, yeah, you know what? I think humans are more valued than just what they can produce. I think we should connect. I think we should find ways for men and women to connect with one another in community and, and find more meaning and purpose than just what we can produce. I wonder, I want to ask you about at the beginning when who was it friend of the show craig 3ir says this guy's definitely out of touch with his feminine side as i'm listening to you many friends of the show might say to you will you sound very in touch with your feminine side but your your response was no i don't believe we have that feminine energy some people would use the word to describe going no this guy sounds like he's wanting to get in touch with his emotions we might define that as feminine he like we might use that word as a descriptor why do you resist the use of that terminology because i think it's um it's insulting to men and overburdens women to say that um there's only one way to experience emotions which is the way women experience them Right. To say that, oh, emotions are feminine means that the, the experience of emotion is normatively female. And I don't mm. think that's true. Um, again, Robert Bly, Iron John, one of the key insights is that he said that the doorway to a man's emotions is through grief. The doorway to women's emotions is through love. So as, as a woman encounters love, she, it's like a big door that opens up to a depth of emotion within her. For men, the doorway to our emotions is through grief. Now, why is that? I can speculate. But if you begin to experience the things in your life, you begin to remember the things that you grieve over, there's a lot behind that door. And when I tell that to men, 
when I tell that to men, they generally nod like, yeah, that sounds about right mm. to me. Right. Okay. So mm. men's experience, even the doorway that we have to go into to experience our emotions is different than the doorway that women go into. But then also mm. men have a different relationship to our emotions. Men have to be prepared to set their emotions aside at a moment's notice if that's what's required. So the example that, uh, that I give about that is you and, uh, you and your wife are uh, upstairs and you're sleeping and you hear something crash downstairs and what happens? Maybe there's someone in the house. The man's heart floods with fear, terror, who know, and who knows what else. And guess what he has to do? He has to set his emotions aside to go downstairs and confront that situation. So men's experience of emotions is not the sort of thing that he can allow to overmaster him. He must have emotions be contributing to his experience of reality, but not be the sum total of his experience to reality. So those are two really significant ways that men and women experience emotions differently, their relationship to them, their relationship to them and how they access them. Floral Craze asked why grief? And um, I, I, I don't know that I can give a great answer to that, but I can speculate that the reason why it's the doorway to men's emotions is that um, men are driven to achieve and the failure to achieve um, is part of us and, and the achievement is also part of us. And so um, for the reasons that I just mentioned, that we have to set our emotions aside to move forward and the grief kind of sticks with us and as, as the things that the one that got away. So by encountering grief, we go into the thing that got away, whatever it might be. And then we re-experience all the glory of the pursuit of it. That's my guess. I, I can't actually say whether that's true. Um, so anyway, just to get back on, on track, you know, men, we relate to our emotions differently. We access our emotions differently. Um, and I think those two things in general mean that men have men's emotions and women have women's emotions. And because our whole relationship to our emotions is different. Um, and so for me to say, I'm getting in touch with my feminine side, I'm, I'm not getting in touch. With, I, there was times in my life where I would have said that, right? And, and it, it's, mm. it's sticky language, but I, I think it's unfair to women to say, you get to hold the entire burden of what emotion is. And I think it's insulting to men when I think men can experience emotions gloriously and men have like the notion of a feminine side is new. Like I do a series on my podcast called poetry for men. And, um, you can go to my link tree, link tree slash rent of men, and you can see poetry for men. And I've done 13 episodes and you can, and you can see the ways that men have expressed emotions over time that aren't necessarily feminine. So we're not, you know, we're not, we're going back to an understanding that men have men's emotions and women have women's emotions. And those are both equally glorious in their experience of them. And yeah. And uh, Sharon Chastor says emotions are a human experience, not a fem feminine one. Yes. And so I guess you could also look at it and say emotions are a thing. Men experience them one way. Women experience them another way. It's not mm. men getting in touch with their feminine side to experience emotions. I think we have, we have our own emotional experience. So, Quite the journey. Yeah. Seems like a guy that's quite aware of his emotional side. Um, yeah, I thought it was a interesting journey that he shared. Quite a vulnerable, almost a bit of vulnerability in there. Yeah. About, you know, not fitting in as a male and things like that. Um, that whole initiation experience seems such a powerful moment for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, such a powerful moment that he's kind of taken what he was saying he learned there and is trying to empower men. So I think as, as we move from this point on, 
remembering where he's coming from and his values that I think are coming through. He's like, this transformed me when my definition of male and masculinity changed and I'm trying, however, agree or disagree, he's trying to impart those onto other men because I guess from what he's saying, he's trying to help men just like he was helped. So, Matt, we get to the very exciting part of the podcast. Oh, wow. Where old Conrad pushes back. Plenty to push back on. Some saber rattling. I'm up for it. Remember, the like the clickbait was men have it harder than women. right? That's something that's going to, oh, whatever, pay gap. And, and I actually did something. I actually did something, Matt, that I've never done before. A lot of his worldview is the front line of the culture war. His worldview on family, gay people, um, divorce. Transgender people, that's happening right now. If you're looking at the news and the stories popping up, people identifying as cats, we spoke about it previously. This is the front line of the culture war. And so I did something I've never done before. It's angled towards the political. The reason why I lead this to politics very quickly, this is where I begin it, is because politics is what where I think the rubber hits the road between ideas and output. So we all have values and then these formulate ideas and these ideas turn into actions and very often they turn into political opinions or votes. And so the easiest way for me to determine where an idea might lead is to look at the politics because that's the solution that people are thinking. So here's the pushback I gave him. The challenging portion of this interview, it's the political side of it Um, because I think everything you've said, people probably agree with your underlying diagnosis that humans are valuable, we're more than units of production, and we need to find a way to be human together. Like, I think that's at the core. I've kind of been observing your politics for quite some time, so I'm going to move through uh, what I think people are judging about you politically. You think critical race theory is a problem in schools? I think critical race theory is a problem in the world. Okay, okay. so that's, I'd say that's a yes. Well, yeah, like but it's not just the yep. schools. Critical race theory is an enormous, enormous distortion. You don't believe gay people should legally be allowed to marry? Correct. Um, you think transgender people pose a threat to our children? I, I think that's pretty clear. Okay. You oppose renewable energy and would prefer nuclear energy? Um, I, I think that, uh, I, I don't actually like that binary. Okay. Uh, would you oppose renewable energy? I'm I'm not opposed to renewal, renewable energy, but I think that there are sources of renewable energy that we're not allowed to talk about. Okay, like nuclear? Uh, uh, like uh, fusion. You think corporate taxes are too high? Uh, I don't even care. <laughs> okay, okay, go. Oh, that's fine. Yep, okay. I, I think we touched on this before. You'd be like pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's 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 a... Like, how's that working out for you, Europe? You would be anti-universal healthcare. Um, you can give it a percentage uh, if you like. Well, it's a bit more complicated. I, I mean, look, there are a lot of there's a lot of uh, appeal of the universal healthcare system, but you look at the you know the disaster of universal healthcare in Canada and waiting for beds and rationing and and all this stuff. Like, but at the same time, the insurance based healthcare system is a disaster as well. You don't believe climate change poses a threat worth doing anything about. Um, I don't think humans are causing climate change to the extent that it's even happening because there was an ice age, you know, a long time ago. I'd give, I'd give that a high percentage on that one. Yeah. But all these, all these questions, all these questions are just like, like, and, and this is not a personal thing, but all these, all these questions are like, they, they lack any understanding of the issues themselves. Like, you know, I'm opposed to universal, like this is important, right? Like 
you know, question is politics. How are we going to fix society? And the reason I move through these, um, these things is because when I look at your stuff, this guy, he looks like he could run for a, as a candidate for the Republican primaries because he's got the look. He's got like the website's looking schmick. <laughs> and I'm looking, and I'm, as I'm tracking through these issues, I'm going, okay, yep, 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 yep. It's kind of th- exactly what the Republican platform stands upon. The reason I bring it up, because a, a year or so ago, I had a bloke on the show called Brian Zand. I don't know if you're familiar. And familiar. his contention, what's happened to Christianity today is that it's been hijacked by the American culture of empire. And it more reflects the Republican Party platform than it does the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. What's your response to that that says your version of Christianity is in lockstep with the Republican political version of Christianity? And that is perhaps so far removed from what Jesus preached. I mean, there's there's a lot wrapped into that question, right? So, um, so the reason the reason why um, a lot of my positions seem to align with the Republican mm-hmm. positions is just because I diagnose the problems and solutions accurately, right? Okay, but my reasoning is different, right? So, mm-hmm. so a Republican a Republican would say, I'm opposed to universal health care. Because um, I don't think we should be using um, we should be using one group's tax dollars to finance the health care for someone else who hasn't contributed into the system, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that would be the Republican reasoning. My reasoning is it's profoundly dangerous to give a government with force of arms legal control over my body. It's profoundly dangerous to do that, meaning that they can enforce medical policy at the point of a gun. That's profoundly dangerous. Like I would, I would categorize as an Australian looking in. That's the argument I hear from many conservative Americans. So I would say, like, it fits the. Okay, conservative... but that's not the Republican. That's not the Republican platform. I've heard many Republicans say a, the similar similar thing. Okay, and and that's not necessarily wrong that they're saying that. What I'm saying is that the Republic, and first of all, Republicans in America, there's like a hundred million of them, right? But the Republican Party platform. You know, if we're talking about at the political level, makes it an issue of taxes, makes it an issue of um, economic classes. So the reasoning is very different, but I, I think the the re, but the reasoning is significant. Well, what's your what's your take on on that critique that Brian Zand has about Christianity when he looks at an evangelical base of Christians that vote for a guy like Donald Trump, and he says he says they can do that because their Christianity resembles American culture more than Christianity. What, what's, your, what's your response to that? I mean, that's, that's an enormous problem in America in general, right? Because sometime after, um, sometime after I would say, let's say World War II, right? Um, America was a unique country with a unique identity, with a unique set of, of values. And sometime after World War II, some giant globalist international monster ate it that's now consuming the world. And I've traveled around the world and I've seen it. And it ate America first. That's why people associate American empire with America, because this global monster consumed America, put on America like a skin suit, and then went marching around the world wearing the skin suit of American culture. 
right? And so, mm-hmm. and so you have a lot of people that aren't able to see that distinction and they rah-rah and they turn their nation into an idol and they worship their, mm-hmm. their, their nation and they're idolatrous about it. When in fact, America, Americans at heart are noble, good, loving, friendly, kind people, right? But the thing is, our values have been so inverted by so many different forces, by so many different forces. And so uh, what Brian Zahn sees, I could just as easily say American Christianity has been consumed by feminism, has been consumed by the emotional experience rather than the experience of, uh, of repentance and redemption, right? But there are many Christians now that are recognizing that, you know, um, I don't know, and I'm going to say the Z word, like how many Christians have been consumed by Zionism, right? And that's actually, that's also a thing. That's also a thing where people's, people's, um, people's values get slid from, you know, notions of, again. Do you really think feminism has had a greater impact on America and on Christianity specifically than capitalism? Because if I'm looking at these two machines going, okay, feminism, well, if it was a feminized uh, church, then you'd, you wouldn't see, you'd see more female preachers, you'd see more women in positions of power whereas when i look at the the mega church the you like, are seeing not that. uniquely american but you look at the mega church it's like you're selling the product of jesus these guys have got millions of people watching their donations are through the roof and they're 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 selling the, the product of jesus so it's like is is you're putting feminism kind of on that on that same level so, so these are um, these are a lot of streams that all feed into the, um, American Christianity right now. One of them is mm. is feminism. One of them is uh, is the idea that yeah, there should be female pastors, and there are female pastors, and female pastors are, uh, well, we say prohibited biblically, but that's a thing, right? Where you where you, you do have that going on. You also have the mega church. Now, what the mega churches are selling, they're not selling Jesus. If you listen to what T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and what are these, these big and Benny Hinn talk about is that what they sell is personal fulfillment. They say Jesus mm-hmm. wants you to be fulfilled and wants you to be happy. And the more money that you give to us, the more money God and Jesus will give back to you for, for the fulfillment of your own desires. That is not Christianity. That is using the Lord. That's blasphemy. That's using the Lord's name in vain. And so that's what, that's what these preachers are doing, and they're, they're taking advantage of people, and they're abusing people. That is not Christianity, but it is not unusual for religions to be abusive around the world. It's not a, that's not, a, not an unusual thing. You do, you know why, um, do you know why China invaded Tibet? China invaded Tibet because the, Tibet, the, the Tibetan monks were running Tibet like a feudal state, with the monks being, um, the monks being essentially like kings of the entire country. And, to, and vacuuming up the wealth of the Tibetan people, right? That was one of the reasons. It wasn't because they want to persecute the poor Dalai Lama, right? So it's not unusual for religions that even we think are sainted to take advantage of people. It's a, it's a shame. It's a, it's a shame because there's so much more to Christianity than that. And so being a Christian in America is very, very complicated today. And I've, as I'm discovering day by day, as I'm discovering things like purity culture, as I'm discovering things like prosperity gospel, as I'm discovering things, um, you know, uh, uh, again, like, like uh, uh, premillennial dispensationalism, right? These are all inside baseball terms. But the thing is, is beneath all of that, and here's the example that I tell people. Um, imagine, imagine a game of basketball, and you've spent your whole life 
you know, watching klutzes playing ball, you know, they bricking the ball, punching each other, throwing things at the audience. And it's like, it, it's just chaos, right? And it's like, well, this is basketball. But then when you actually look at the rules of the game, you say, look, they're not playing the game at all. They're doing something else. And that's what, that's what Christianity is, is you have a whole bunch of corrupt referees and, and corrupt players and fans that have been watching this thing that has nothing to do with what's actually going on. And so, so when you say Christianity, you know, what, what, what that says to me is something that's so be- beautiful that transforms and redeems and regenerates people like me and many of the people that I care about. But other people have other associations with it because that has not been the case. And so part of my work and many others is to try and say, no, this is what Christianity really is. It's not how these other people have been behaving. And that's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to do because it's personal for so many people. But that doesn't mean I don't have to try. You see what I was doing with the political angle? It's a new thing I've, I was yeah, trying. Was- I was like... He was just getting, he was probably the most triggered at that part of the conversation I was detecting. Like, was this like, yeah, he got impatient with it. But I think what I was trying to do, just for friends of the show listening, going, does his ideas lead to certain politics or is politics contributing to ideas? And I guess I was, I was giving it a go, going, if, if I can look at, is that Arizona, roughly Midwest ish Republican? Obviously, my hobby, U.S. politics. I'm like, let he me did say he was independent. Yeah, but then he, and the the reason the, the list I went through, it was like, okay, here are some issues that would be aligned with your worldview as the family unit, right? Mm-hmm. So everything in society is structured around male female family unit. So obviously, he's anti gay marriage. Obviously, he's, he thinks trans are um, a, a threat to the kids. But then I brought in some other culture war iconic issues that aren't even related to that worldview. That was kind of my experiment. I guess to maybe highlight, because like climate change is not even related. So I guess I was, I was going, is there a culture at play? So he's pitching ideas and I'm like, yeah, ideas feed into politics. But then I'm also going, is culture part of it? American culture different to Australian culture? That was, I guess, my, my pitch to, as to why I was kind of pushing in that angle, just so friends of the show can go, what is it? Is it politics? Is it culture? Is it religion or the ideas? It's probably a mix of everything, right? What do you what do you say to women or feminists who look at your work and go, I don't think feminism is the enemy. I think we couldn't vote, now we can. I think that's a good thing. I think that, yep, even though we are now units of production in the workforce, but now I can go to work and I do have the legal right to leave an abusive husband, which I didn't have before. I feel like these are really good progressions. I think women should be pastors. Why can't they be? They might look at what you're saying and say you're really pushing against the progress that women have, have gotten. Are you standing, like, are you harking back to a day when men did have more power than women? And is that, is that better? What do you say to someone that hears as that's what you're saying? Again, the, no, the, the, the tricky word here is power because we've been taught to conceptualize power only in terms of money and we might call political influence. And with that's, that's what power means. What about like right? personal autonomy? Because the woman would say, I had an abusive husband and 40, 50 years ago, I couldn't leave him because I would have no money. I wouldn't be able to get a job. I couldn't live. So that's a form of power, like personal control to go, I think this is a bad situation and now I have the power to leave. So that's an element that they would point out as well. 
Sure, yeah, but I mean, that guy also used to have a, a, a collection of brothers around him who would say things like, if I see you or I hear about you abusing your wife again, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Pardon my swearing. And so you, when you have the atomization of men, and you, and you know what we've talked about, you have men that are unaccountable to their brothers, that are unaccountable to their pastor, that are unaccountable to God, right? And so, and so you, you are thrust in the situation, this valueless situation. The, the real power of Christianity for men for men, and we're going to talk exclusively about men, is that you are accountable to something that is so far beyond yourself that you can't hide from, that you can't lie to, mm. right? And so you know, and that you will ultimately, you will ultimately have to answer to. So if, if you mm. want to be a tyrant, if you want to be an abuser, right? Well, first of all, you know, abuse is one of the biblically sanctioned reasons for divorce, right? There's only, there's only a couple of them, right? Abuse is one of them. Right? No, no, no woman is required to stay with a man who's, who's, who's abusing her. But that man who was, who was a terror had other men in a community around him checking him. That has always been the case. That has always been the case until very recently. So are you arguing for a both-and scenario where you go, do you have a problem with the progress women have made in modern society? Or are you just saying, listen, that's okay, but... I'm trying to point at the men saying if we had stronger communities around men and we had systems in place that could develop men better, that would also contribute to making society better. I don't think it's progress for women. I don't think it's progress for so women. So being able to vote is not progress. I mean, I don't, I, don't think it's, I, don't, I don't think that means as much as you think it means. I don't think voting determines much of anything. I think we, we are handed... Well, <laughs> maybe not in America, but in Australia, our vote counts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you might be aware of our political system, but yes, it is. My vote is is measurably more powerful than in the American system. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that. Um, I think I think uh, the the power of your vote is dependent on the independence of the candidates who are put forth for your vote, and I don't think that that's independent at all. So, um, so, so you're saying that you would prefer not to like vote. You're saying you don't think voting is important. So, would you not vote as well? Like, do you think? you should have the same rights as women then. Because if you're saying voting isn't a step forward, then would, like, do you want to vote? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think the idea that voting is this giant world-changing thing that women have, women have achieved, I think, is a, is a false measure. I don't, I don't think that you, I think that sounds like progress, but it only sounds like progress because we look at the world in a particular way and say voting is power, Right. So women have power. Women have always had power. Women have power over the home. Women have power to nurture and raise up children to be loved and to be self-assured and to be but generous they, they and don't giving. Have the power and so and no, 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 hold to on. Determine hold on. Policies for them. Well, who, who cares? Who cares? Well, they would care if they don't have like the child care in their community or they don't have safe. That's why you have church. Their children going to. That's why you have fathers like, in how, the home to teach. A, That's why you have communities. Well, I suppose when we break down these building blocks, it's like, how do you as a community, if you're, if you're a woman going, I know what's best for, stereotypically, my children, and I know what's best for my community, but, but you don't just her get children. the vote to vote in your local council, and you don't get the opportunity to say, you know what, I think we should have a speed limit zone on these roads here because I'm seeing this, and I think the construction here is causing pollution over here. They don't get the, they don't get the right to, to vote for that, so that, that does impact them. Well, I mean, like, they're not just her children. Like, there's a father. 
right? Right? There, there's a, you know, there, there, he, does, he does have a role in all this. And this is what I'm talking about. We start, so, she would have to say, hey, could you please do this? And then he'd be like, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that's how, that's how things used to work. And in fact, right. when you say like women didn't and have the right better. to vote, there's a reason why women didn't have the right to vote. And it's not because, it's not because they were property. It's because the city center where, men, where, where the economics happened was where men went while women were at home with the kids. So men would go into the city center to transact with the goods that they had made, and they would share information and political information, and then they would go home. And now who had the political information in order to make the, make the decision about what to do? It was the man, because the man was in the city center, right? It wasn't, they were deprived of the right to vote, not because they were like second-class citizens, but because they didn't have access to the information, nor did they need it, because the man was entrusted to make the best decision on behalf of his own family and that he would never vote for anything that would harm his wife and harm his kids and that the husband and wife's interests were aligned with each other right that's and that there wasn't any notion that like the husband would vote in such a way as to harm his own wife why would he do that like i'm going to vote to cut off my own legs like men don't do that and so what i said earlier when you look back into history you see history, and, and this was ind indicative in your question, or maybe it was one of the friends of the show's question, you see in a certain way. And in fact, the reason why we see in a certain way is because that's how we've been told to see history, when in fact, history is very, very different. Relations between the sexes were very, very different, based on very different fundamental principles than we, have, than we even have access to today. If society today has shifted, society has moved to the point where there are as many single mothers as family units, and there it's are... It's a huge tragedy. There are, there are men who are shirking their responsibilities. There are women that are choosing bad men to sleep with. So people would hear that, and they go, well, you're blaming women for the plight of themselves. It's being like, well, they chose a bad man, and, but maybe they didn't. Maybe he was a good guy, and then he, something came up, and he dipped, and whatever. You, like, you know, it's a complex scenario. Yeah, I mean, part of that is she was unable to evaluate him properly because her father wasn't around. And it's entirely possible that her father wasn't around because he was killed in World War II. 25 million soldiers died in World War II. And so f the fathers were the ones that used to have, uh, they used to protect their daughters and say, yeah, not that guy. That guy doesn't get to be around my daughter because I can look at that man and see he doesn't have honor. I have a post but on it Instagram. it sounds like about you're saying that men have a greater capacity to discern certain things about men so you're just saying kind of about other men because I, I i feel like women friends of the show could hear that and be like this guy i feel like he's treating me like an idiot like not at all i actually am earning more money than my husband and he's decided to stay home and we have decided as together that he's the one that's gonna um raise our children full-time at home and i'm gonna go work because i'm better at it than he is and he's he's really nurturing and he wants to be there like it sounds like he should prepare that he should prepare he should prepare to find out his wife is having an affair whoa so like because a woman wants to work you're saying that she'll have an affair if the i mean you can you can look for yourself but a woman who is the breadwinner for the family while the husband stays home is is it massively increases the likelihood that she's having an, that she'll have an affair do you have citations for this? I would be very curious. No, it's just, I mean, I don't have access, I don't have access to them right now, but that's probably something we can look up. I think, and Feel I think free it would send also, them through. I'd be, I, if you have them, link them in the, link them in the show. Cause I'd be curious to, to hear that because that's, well, that's okay. It, well, let's run the, let's run the, you want to run, you want to run the math? You want to, you want to run the math? No, no, this? I'm just saying if you have, if you have the math, my friends of the show would be very curious to go. I'll run the math for you take, right now. Like, I'll run the math for you right now. It's real simple. Okay. So, uh, uh, so a woman's out at the office 
right? And she's, um, she's earning big bucks, very successful. Her husband is at home caring for the kids. He's in a very nurturing, very soft, you know, very loving, you know, very uh, effeminate role for a man, right? Because that's what you have to be to raise kids, right? And so she's out in the office kicking ass. And then she sees Mr. Executive Vice President, who's strong and confident and masculine and driven and motivated. And that's very attractive to women because that's testosterone. And they end up working late nights together. And guess what? somehow she begins developing sexual attraction for the man who's acting like a man. And she doesn't feel sexual attraction to the man who's, who's acting like a woman. And he doesn't but, feel sexual attraction to her. Of, this is not, this is you're not subjugating. You're subjugating the woman's cognitive capacities to go, Oh, I'm like, I'm just completely at the whim of my biology going, Oh, testosterone. I'm going to jump this guy because he's friggin' hot. That's humans. That's not women. That's men and women too. The men, the man is being dishonorable, right? But like this happens. Affairs happen. Like I'm not, I'm not. Affairs do happen, but it's, but it sounds like in the scenario you paint, it's like if a woman goes out and works and sees a strong, successful, even better mate, then she's biologically going like, oh, I've got to go with the stronger mate because that weakling over there is raising kids. But then men are allowed to go out and and well, affairs for men through the roof. Women have, women have affairs of two. And the women have affairs of the pool boy. Like, like affairs of... But then men are allowed saying, to go out and work in the office. And their affair... Are you saying their affair rate will be lower than if women were in the workforce? Like, a, is, that, is that the scenario? Like, men have more self-control than women or something? We've got to keep... Protect the women at home. It sounded like very Islam being like, if we keep the women at home because we've got to protect them from something... It's we, no, we can go out and work, but they can't. I guarantee you, if there aren't women in the workplace, men won't be having affairs with women in the workplace. <laughs> that's <laughs> so a real that's good way to solution <laughs> is to go. Look, no look. one can be trusted because there's too many hot people out there. And we're just going to go, men, you go over there and don't you dare look at that. Whether your secretary is going to be a man because you can't control yourself. Are you saying equally men and women can't control themselves? Is that, is that what you're saying? Or are you saying women... When equally, yeah, because because the man, the the Mister Mister, you know, executive vice president, maybe he's married too. I don't, who knows, right? Or maybe he's not, but he knows that she's married because he sees her wearing a wedding ring, right? So he's being dishonorable as well. You don't trust people's capacity because if I insert myself in this scenario, you don't trust my capacity to go to work, see a woman that's. I respect is really good at what she's doing and she's good looking. You don't trust my capacity to go up. Yep, maybe she's a bit attractive, but I love my wife and she's raising my kids and I'm going to honor that. Like, you don't trust my capacity to be able to handle a situation like that. I mean, uh, that's not really, I'm not questioning you personally. I'm questioning, you know, Mr. High-Powered. Average. No, I'm questioning Mr. High-Powered Executive who, who, uh, whose entire success in his career is based on conquests and getting one over on the other guy. I'm not trusting him to be honorable, especially if he's not, if he's not a Christian man. Right. That's another that's but, another one. But that that says that women are passive in this. Like they're not passive. It's 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 a it's mutual. That's right. But then the other half of the equation would be the strong, independent woman saying, uh, no, thanks, big dog. I'm fine. Like, she she very well might likely scenario. She very well might. But, you know, she goes home to um, she goes home to her husband who's very soft and, and feminine and not acting like a man usually acts. And when she gets around actual masculine energy, that's very attractive to women. It always has been. This is why the but nice guy finishes last. That she's just going to... Did I make that, did I make that up? Relationship. 
It, it, it might. It increases the odds of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I mean, know. It's, so, I'm sorry. I mean, like, you know, I, I, to everyone who's listening, there's an emotional support puppy on my Instagram stories if you need to go look at it. It sounds like you're pushing to restructure society that has since moved on. Like society has moved to the breakdown of the nuclear family. Society has moved to men and women in the workforce. Society has moved to these scenarios where women like are always going to be in the workplace and more so. So I said, are you, are you trying to, are you putting your eggs in the basket of we need to change society to go back to more of what it was today? Or are you like, what's your pragmatic solution now for people going, okay, let's say, Sure, less affairs would happen with women if there were no women in the workforce. That's fine. So that was mostly a joke. Not totally. Mostly a joke. Good. Um, and, and so, but that's fine. But they say, that's, not, that's never going to happen. So are you still arguing about the structure of society or is there another kind of solution there that you would be pushing for? So society already has been restructured. So you're saying I'm restructuring society. Society no, always no. Well, no, no. Society, society is always being structured. No matter you can just pinpoint in history and go, what was it then? But society is what it is today. And it, what I'm getting from a lot of you saying is saying, well, it was better in structures back then because we thrived in ways that people aren't recognizing, and that's okay. But then, what do you do in the pragmatic scenario of people saying, will? Like women are in the workplace. My husband wants to raise the kids. Like what, what do we do if you're not, if you're not able to change society? Like what's, what's your advice or your, um, the thing you focus on when in the face of the fact that society isn't going to change in those ways? Okay. That's, that's an assumption, but, but I'll, but I'll go with you on a question. Okay. So yeah. society worked a specific way for a very long period of time. Society was then restructured by force was already restructured. Then that restructured society was handed to us, meaning you and me in our generation. And as it turns out, that society isn't working so well. It's not working so great, right? It's, it's, not, it's not producing prosperity. But it was working prosperous. better back then. There were aspects of it that were working much better. There are aspects that were But on the whole, if you're, if you're taking on aggregate. Well, I, I don't, I think it's, it's like apples and oranges, right? There were, thing, there were things yeah. that worked really, really well back then. That, and there were other things that didn't work well. Like, I think our modern industrial okay. society... So you're not is, saying it was wholly better back then? No, no, I, 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 I don't think so at all. All right. So, <clears throat> but I think that there were important lessons that we lost when society was forcibly restructured around us. Now, like, this modern industrial society is great. I don't necessarily want us to go back to the Stone Ages, right? <laughs> but I think yeah. that there are, <clears throat> there are sets of values and sets of, um, sets of understandings of men, women, husbands and fathers and families that we've lost touch with that's leading to mm. you know, skyrocketing depression, obesity, suicide, and a, and a whole lot more because we've lost an understanding of what men and women, husbands and fathers and children are for, right? Okay, mm. so when you say society won't be going back that way, what I say in response is if, we, if society continues on the direction that it's gonna go, it's not magically going to get better. It's only going to get worse, and it only and and the, and the worseness will be medicated with increasingly powerful drugs, like 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 pharmaceuticals, with increasingly powerful media, like um like uh, the metaverse, right? To numb TikTok? us to what That's and TikTok one. exactly to numb us to how out of balance things are, and we're already seeing mm. that. 
We're already seeing that. Mm. So the idea is like, okay, this is the direction our, our modern post-industrial society is heading. All progress is good. Full steam ahead. Progress. Progressives, right? Conservatives are progressives driving the speed limit too, but that's a whole other thing. So like, let's just go straight down this way. And it's like, okay, you guys can have that. But I think if you take a real good look at it, it's not working real good for any of you. I used to live in San Francisco, which was one of the most progressive cities in the world. And everyone there was miserable and they medicated themselves with drugs and alcohol, you know, eight days, eight mm. days a week, right? It's a whole big conversation. Mm. So here's, here's what I say. There's another way to organize society based on timeless principles that we've lost touch with. What if we were to re-inject some of these principles back into society and everyone has to give something up to get there? might we actually end up being happier? Or, or you know what, those of us who agree to these principles, we've decided that this modern industrial way doesn't work, so we're gonna go off this way and do our thing over here, and if you wanna come hang out with us under our rules, you're welcome to. Adios, muchachos. Okay, great. What are those rules? What are those principles that you will, we crown, we crown you king, we crown you king of this plot of land in America of the libertarian dream. You're going to rebuild society there. What are those rules? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I, good joke, but I need more specifics because there's a million different versions of that. He, he pointed to the cross on his chest. But yes, right, Christianity, so- like you said, is a, the 30,000 different denominations, give or take 10,000. Doug Wilson um, talks about there are like there eight is many. denominations. No, Doug Wilson talks about that really fundamentally there are only six or eight denominations. And Doug you Wilson can say there's six or eight, but I could tell you right now, you go into a church and say, I believe this doctrine. They say, that's not correct. That's wrong. Go join another church. And there's more than eight, even in my town. So sure. And, and what, he says is that those, what, he, what he says is that those, even those churches that would seem to have different doctrines can be boiled down essentially to somewhere between sure. five and eight, you know, five and eight truly different denominations, right? But the members of the church wouldn't, wouldn't think that that's why they went and started their own and that's my point is that people can go yeah you can boil down principles but if you're building a society what are those rules is that a society where you build on going okay men are the legal head of the household women don't have legal standing status um women's role is exclusively delegated to raising kids and if a woman wants to become an independent woman and work that's not an option is is this these the principles that if Describe a society that you think would solve the problems that I think everyone agrees would exist. Like we are inebriating from meaninglessness, TikTok's just taking our time, like all those things. I think friends of the show are going, yeah, I'm like, I'm with you. But what does a society look like for you in a little enclave of people who agree to it? What, what, what does that practically look like? What are those principles? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the notion of women, let's start with this notion of women working, right? Well, what does it mean for a woman to work? Does it mean that she has to go off to a giant multi-story corporate office and sit in front of a computer all day? Or can she have a home? Can she have a Is home? Is she allowed to? I guess that's the question. Well, I mean, like whether she's allowed to or not, it's, it's kind society. of irrelevant. Well, I mean, like I would say that there are such things probably don't even really exist because you have much smaller collective organizations. Would she, would she need to or even want to? Is that was that the ultimate fulfillment of her gifts to sell her to sell her life to make money, right? Is there so other, you're saying to you're saying to women or who women might are have women that. destined for more? Can women do more than be economic but, units but of production? But that is a an assessment from you saying I think women can do more important work. But what if a yeah. woman's standing in front of you saying, "Well, I don't want to do that. 
I want to be in the corporate office, be the head of the marketing firm, and I want to contribute to building my nonprofit, my uh, Coca-Cola executive, my whatever. Are they allowed to do that in that scenario? Even if you think it's the being the head of the family home is more valuable, are they allowed to do that? She wouldn't be participating in that community, right? She would mm-hmm. be, because okay. because the entire value space structure. Yeah, she would be like, I don't have, want to have anything to do with that. And you can go, you can go and do that. But call me, call me when you're, um, call me when you're 38. See how that goes. Why do you say that? Well, because um, women have a, um, it's called the the biological clock, which is profoundly insulting to women to say that there's something purely. Um, I was just thinking that. Yeah, that well, is, no, it it's, is, it's yes. a, the, the term biological clock is demeaning to women because it says that their desire to birth life is entirely a biological urge and that who they are is not that. I think the woman's ability to give and nurture life is a profound gift, is such a profound gift that God himself came down in human form through a woman, right? Right, like the the significance of that can't be overstated because he could have just come down from the clouds, right? Right. So the idea that the idea that a woman's life force and life energy is best spent in a corporate office, in meetings, achieving, bashing into other men who are bashing into her, right? Like like that it's meant well, in the field of battle and competition, which is what economics is. That that's the best place for women. Sure, you can choose it, but like you're going to get to a certain stage where you're going to recognize they're more to you than the ability to earn money. And when you actually get there, when you actually wake up to that and you actually want a man to join you in that journey, guess what? There won't be a lot of guys left. And that's just reality. That's just reality. And then you're going to be left. Then you're going to be left. Let me just finish. Then you're going to be left with a choice. Your choice is going to be to continue to be childless or to, uh, to marry a, a substandard man. Neither of those are good options. And that's just reality. So, that that's people would hear that and go that's a narrow description of what a woman at her peak can be and i suppose as i've listened to your journey no as you as it's you not- map your personal journey and you say okay i was a man i didn't fit these boxes that i was being told and then i went on a journey and discovered you know what i always belong to this group of male and masculinity and i can be myself and who like you describe yourself being different like just being more academically minded, not enjoying those physical things that were the stereotype. And I suppose to bring women into this conversation and to, and to bring the arc to towards the end here and go, mm. when you describe the, a woman can either at 38 marry a substandard guy because all the good ones are gone or not have children. Cause that's the kind of deadline. You, you, your odds are having children after that is pretty 38, low. 42, whatever. And yeah. you're saying women can do, like women are made for more than the economic battleground and all those sorts of things. You're building this hierarchy of what it means to be a woman. And I can imagine, and I know personally women who would hear that and say, I don't want children. I'm not wired that way. I just, I I don't want to. I enjoy work. I enjoy my job. And you know what? For me to be a lesser woman, hearing what you're saying, I'm a lesser woman because not only the women who can't have children, but the ones that go, you know what? I'm just different. I just, yep, I'm a woman and I don't want kids. I feel like, Will, you're saying to me, I'm a lesser on the hierarchy of women because I don't want them or can't have them. How, how do you respond to that? 
I would say that that's a judgment. That's a judgment that that you're implying, and I would say I would say that why is it you think narrow? It's a fair implication or not? No, I don't think so at all. Because why is it narrow to say that that a woman a woman is a should should get a career and be super successful? That's not narrow. But to say that birthing no, no, children—that's not like, what we're not saying. I'm not saying like that's the pinnacle. I'm I'm not offering this woman wouldn't be saying, oh, this is the pinnacle of being a woman. I'd be a CEO. Like some people are, but but this woman in this scenario isn't. This is mm-hmm. just the one saying, yep, all my friends are having kids, and I don't I don't want them, and I'm feel I'm being told that I am less of a woman one because I don't have kids, and two because I don't even want them. I'm just drawing the correlation to you not belonging in the definition of masculine growing up and the woman not belonging in the definition of woman or masculine or, or feminine because she just goes, you know what? I'm not wired that way. I'm just different to all my women friends. I don't know why, but I don't want kids. Am I less of a woman? I would say that the, what I was lacking in masculinity and childhood was things that, that were, that I was deprived of that I needed to go find for myself. So that was that was what initiation does is it put me through a series of trials. That was what I did when I was traveling, sailing the ocean, climbing mountains, trekking across deserts, putting myself in in the opportunities to learn all the things in terms of I guess physical performance and capability. And I do bo- I box now, you know that I didn't get as a as a man growing up. There was a whole part of myself that I was that was removed that was not provided to me or not introduced to me or that I was not cultivated towards. So what I said is that there are, there are boys that grow up say more sensitive and there are boys that grow up more physically capable and that those are two halves of one man that's been shattered apart. So this part of myself that I had, I was missing this other part and I had to go find it. So when a woman says like I don't actually I'm not familiar with that part of myself, I would say like it's because you've been isolated from that part of yourself. And I would sit down and I would talk with her and I was like, "Well, let's let's have a conversation you know like let's try to understand where that belief about yourself may have come from because you know i i think that there's something look live your life how you want you can like i'm not i'm not going to be here you know to to um you know to set up an authoritarian power structure in that way but what i am going to say is that there are ways that men and women husbands and wives, fathers and mothers can orient society for the maximum fulfillment of their natural roles in ways that are just deeply moving and deeply meaningful and deeply prosperous and deeply fulfilling. And in that, everyone has to give something up. That's the thing. That's the, that's the thing that often gets overlooked, particularly in discussions of Christianity, is that, yes, like, so the, the word is, um, is submission, right? The, and the word in Christian circles is that the wife is submissive to the husband. But what isn't talked about is that the, the husband, the, the husband, the father is himself also submissive to a higher authority. And that that higher authority means he doesn't get everything that he wants either, Right. And so right now what we have is that anybody can have anything that they want, you know, pleasure, you know, money, whatever, name it, right? Party, fun, everyone can have everything and we can't ever say if anything's good or bad. Everyone can have everything and no one's happy. No one's fulfilled. But there's another way of organizing society where everyone gives something up and you can, people paradoxically find it deeply fulfilling. But people don't want You're to You're arguing up- for sacrifice. That sounds I'm, like what you're arguing. Indeed, arguing for. not just indeed. not just getting everything you can. Will I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We've gone for a long time. I really appreciate you taking all this time to talk to me. A few a few questions I like I like to finish on. Um, <laughs> okay, 
how racist are you? <laughs> a scale of one to ten. <laughs> no, actually, actually, that's not the one, but that could be a good one. Actually, how do people see you who disagree with you? Racist was potentially one of the things that you're like when people look at you and they comment or you know you get the hate online. What what's how do they see you? What categories do they throw at you? What what words do they use to to describe you? Um, they see me as um, all the worst aspects of their father or their grandfather, whoever the male authority figure. Well, like the reason why people resist this idea of the masculine role in society and the feminine role in relation to the masculine is because it was poorly modeled for them at some time in their life. And that could have been a father. But how do they see you though? Because like you would say, because of this, how do they see you then? They see, so, so this poorly, this, this masculine role was poorly modeled for them and caused them pain. And so when I talk about these things, all that pain that this other individual made them feel, they mistake me for them. And they think that so I what, what's call- that when you say that, what is them? What's, what's that figure? Is that like sexist, racist? What, what are the words that people throw at you? I actually don't get many words thrown at me, but um, the impression, um, because here's the thing, and I was was talking to my buddy Ryan about this yesterday. The reason I write the way I do, because I feel a lot of grief over where we're at as a society. Like there's a lot, and there's a lot of grief to be felt. And I go through the door of grief and I go into a space of deep feeling to write what I do. And when you say that, you know, someone would be listening to me and they would connect with a lot of things that I would say, you know, that prevents them from being able to conveniently label me a racist or a sexist because they perceive racist and sexist as being unfeeling. And I'm very much, and you even asked me, like, are your feelings your feminine side? I said, no, I have masculine feeling because I feel very, very deeply. And the real crime that racists and sexists commit is that they, they, they are accused of, of not feeling. And maybe some of them don't. But I feel very hmm. deeply. So, so what, I, what hmm. I don't get is I don't often get labeled because people, they look at me, it's like the difference between a zebra and a horse. Like, okay, that's not like that, but they look the same, right? And so I, in this case, I would be the zebra. Like, oh, it looks kind of the same, but there's some difference. So I don't get labeled often. Right. But what I experience from people is, is they're reacting to something that has nothing to do with me. Now, to be fair, sometimes I'm not, as, I'm not as calibrated as I would like to be, and I don't do a great job. But in general, which is, it's very difficult to do. But in general, I think people look at me and, and they see a representation of the worst men in their lives. And, um, and so my job is to separate, is to peel the projection off and say, I'm not that. I'm talking about something very different. And that's why when we had the political discussion, why, why I wanted to be very clear that like, yes, like in terms of, in terms of like the stance, I might, I might not agree, but my reasons for not agreeing are very different. And so to see the man through the projection is what I was trying to do with that. Cause it'd be really easy to mistake me for being a particular kind mm-hmm. of man because I take the stance, but my reasons for diff- for doing it are born out of a well of deep feeling. And so, and so that's what I attempt to do is like, they, they project this, this bad man, bad men onto me. And I try to let them know I'm not that guy. I'm talking about something um, very much more beautiful and meaningful. If you just go there with me for it. Mm. I think you have communicated some of that emotional depth, especially when you, when you share your journey. Final, final question. What would it take? Will? what would it take? for you to identify as some form of feminist? 
Um, I, I don't actually know how to answer. I don't actually know how to how to answer that question. I suppose I would. I suppose we would have to come up with a definition of feminist that honored um, that honored women in a very particular way. If you, but even then, I wouldn't use that word because it's so, it's so loaded. If they could show you and say it's impossible, hey, like here's here's a group of women that actually feel like they're thriving because of the progress they've made because of their ability to contribute in the work. Like, like if, if they could convince you somehow, like what would they need to convince you that women thrive under their model? What would you be looking for? I, I want to revise my answer and say, there's nothing that you could do because feminism frames itself as the enemy of patriarchy. And it describes certain things about patriarchy that I think are fun, that are fundamentally um, very important for men and women to understand and so there's no way like fr- framing myself as a as a feminist would mean I would have to disavow some of very important things about what I know to be true about men and women. So it would be impossible for me to identify as a feminist. So Matt, a lot of challenging ideas in there for friends of the show. To be honest, I'm like loading my my magazine up. You're like ready to go to the Super Friends episode yep. very soon. Checking that chamber, locking and loading, lining up Conrad. <laughs> Why didn't you ask this question? So Matt, we have to try and just like the the, the target thing, like you know, audience into target. You know, it's just like I'm just confusing you and yes. like an elk or something. Yes. So I'm trying to humanize the person, mm-hmm. excavate what's underneath the ideas, what's the values there, what leads people here. We can judge, definitely will judge in the super section. And we'll judge. <laughs> we'll judge. But that's in a safe space with friends of the show who've supported the show. And sure. it's a it's you and I just we have dumb ideas too and we're just kind of shooting from the hip. So we do that behind yeah. the paywall. But let's let's go here, Matt. I know this is gonna be a very challenging thing for especially probably feminist friends of the show, atheist friends of the show listening, you know, this guy's a Christian, I don't I disagree with any. Um Bernie Sanders supporters, friends of the show. Um progressive people friends like people listening being like oh man i don't even want mm. but is there anything in that worldview as to like if someone holds this idea right might not even hold it the same way will does if someone like men do it harder than women is there anything within what will said that's like why people might grab it like at its best why people might you know hold this idea or how might it help them in some way if they if they're drawn like, to it the 9000 like, followers on his instagram um Trigger, trigger, trigger. Like as I crack out the triggers, um, I think <laughs> at his best, if you're like him and you're a fundamentalist Christian with the same worldview, I think, yes, you will benefit from getting together with other fundamentalist Christians and having a men's talk. We have a community. And have a community. And a clear worldview. Sure. You know what's wrong with society. And in a very confusing world, it might give you a sense of security. Well, it w- I would say it will. And uh, I think well, the world is complex. That's a very clear, simple diagnosis of the problem. It leads to a clear political solution. Bring back the family unit. I tried to drill into how he mm. kind of said, build a little, sounds like a libertarian at that point, like build an enclave and those who want to be a part of it, be a yeah. part of it. Um, and I guess, like you're saying, if, if you fit his definition of male and his definition of female and you believe that those gender roles work, then that's a clear, simple world that you can occupy. Sure. Um, I think... TLDR, it's just like, yeah, if you, uh, you share the same worldview, of course, you can find some commonality with other people that share the same worldview. But... And I think having a... Like, 
emphasizing fatherhood. Like, you know, yes. it's something that's confusing. But I'll t- th- that's what I was going to say. Being a better father would be great because there's a lot of shit fathers today. Yes. And at its best, the ideas or the, the beginnings of what he's championing, which is men are struggling. I think that's true. I'm not saying they're doing it harder than women. Yeah. I think that's a dumb comparison. It's just a clickbait comparison. But yes, suicide rates indicate that men are doing it tough, mm-hmm. especially in certain, especially in white middle-class men who you would think would be doing quite well, but they're killing themselves in record rates. So something going on there, which isn't really spoken about. And here's a guy coming and saying, hey, men, you're struggling. I can tell you why. Sure. Whereas a lot, there's not a lot of stories out there in the mainstream that are potentially speaking to disaffected men who are potentially struggling. Sure. So at its best, there's, there's something in that. I don't know. Right? Honestly, that I, I, you'll hear from me why. But like, so this Matt, is majorly triggering for me. But like, I think, yeah, at its best, he can just be a better father. Like that's seriously all I can maybe at its best. Like, and go, yes, morals... Morals are Actually, important. no, you know what? I, I think that's a, another thing. Passing down morals, like, are we not, I don't, I don't know if we're not doing that, but I'm thinking, yeah, like, that's good fathering, teaching morals, I guess. Like, uh, have we, I, I'm unsure if we've lost them, but if we have, morals are a good thing, I think. I think a society that maybe values virtue, honesty, I, I don't know. At its best, guys, play along at home. Let and, us know, seriously. We missing at its worst, this? Matt, at its worst. Oh, well. So, at it, like women screwed women uh you don't get to vote gay guys screwed transgender, you don't get to get screwed. married transgender you get vilified more suicides more of domestic violence his antidote to domestic violence is ridiculous just like the assumption that your cousin would call you a piece of shit and want to beat you up for beating up your wife and while she stays at home while she's still getting beaten up is ridiculous or the hope that that would happen yeah Especially when no Wouldn't one you knows just domestic want in that violence happens. A domestic violence situation, like the cops rocking up and one's a man, one's a woman. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like for a, a, a woman to be in that situation to hopefully offer better empathy than a male. Like it's just ridiculous. Like anyway, a hold. Yeah, you gotta name. you gotta hold the hold the fort there. See, like I did, but yes, there 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 is a there is a at its worst. I where think you I think you're being very gracious to him. Well, the, of course, that's the artist I just say. That's how I roll. I think you you pushed some areas, and it was. Do you think I should have pushed harder? Did the did the mat in there be like, oh come on, man, don't know your stats? Come it's ahead. hard because you if you did, it would have shut him down, and it would have ended the conversation. Yes. And well, yeah, you noticed me trying to. I do. I, I, I'm, you're I'm curious. Questions, and then you need like we needed him to, and for obviously friends, like while we do this, is you needed him to tell his worldview. So if you were to sit there and then. You've yeah. been caught, like, I've listened to, uh, like, Peterson and, um, say, Harris debate for two hours, and they get stuck on one point for about 45 minutes to an hour because, yeah. like, no one will let it up. No one's yeah, going yeah. to, like, f- let go of yeah. this point until we move on. So we wouldn't have yeah. heard his full worldview. Um, but, yeah, so that's a challenging one. I can't say yes or no to that. And to be honest, it is, it is hard to get – often my stereotype, my judgments of conservative or fundamentalist Christians – They've been the hardest people to come on the podcast. So respect to Will, I reach out. He probably looks at our page. He's like, oh, they don't look like they're in my tribe. Lefts. Like, yeah. <laughs> I hide that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it could no, be- No, but from his perspective, you'd see it that Yes, way. for yeah. sure. And, and he would, um, it w- so many people have turned me down with his worldview. 
So many. Because just the general pushback I would give turns them off. Mm. Because they go, I only want to talk to people in my tribe. So anyone that comes on, like Will, and I kind of push a little bit, like I'm judging him politically, kind of got him, maybe got a bit riled up there when I was like, I know your political views, man, I nailed him. Um, bit of pride in that one. <laughs> but he that kind of, I guess, respect there. He was still kind of cordial in the end. I didn't like annoy him too much and he was willing to have the conversation. So yeah. anyone that's willing to do that, I actually respect because you might hate his ideas. You might love his ideas. But people who believe them honestly enough and genuinely enough are often the ones I love talking to because they're just going to give me everything. They're not going to go, oh, I might lose followers if I go here or I can't be seen like talking to that or I, I they're going to try and gotcha me like I only want to be in my little tribe. So yeah, I, I do respect people being like, hey, I honestly believe this and I'm going to take it to the mat defending it. And I, I guess I respect that. Yeah, because it's and to be fair, you have reached out to a lot of conservative people. I have, and, and they, I, all, they always oh, pull, they always swing down. They, yes, and it breaks my heart. I get actually annoyed. Yeah, I'm like, I love hit me with your ideas that might be hyper offensive to different groups of people, but if you won't even talk to me about them and you won't even be open to honest, good faith questions, that's when Conrad's ideas digest patience ends. I'm yeah. like, well, stuff yeah. But anyway, but I think it would be great to hear from at its worst from our listeners as well. So friends of the show, Let thanks for tuning in. Matt has got his gun loaded. I'm sensing this one might get a bit heated. So super friends. Well, if you hang out with us long <laughs> enough here, you'd understand we have the old heated conversation. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Super friends, you're in for a treat. So if you'd like to join up, support the show, itisdigest.org. You get ad, the show ad-free. You get bonus segments of Matt and I going toe-to-toe about certain things. And you get bonus content as well. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will catch everyone in the next episode. Well, thank you so much for taking so much time. If people are looking at your work, you've got a lot of different YouTube videos, workshops and things like that. Where can they find you and keep up to date with what you're up to? Sure. You can go to renofmen.com, which is my website. I'm updating it um, to have um, to have directions to more of my content. But for, to find more of my content, you can go to linktree slash renofmen and that'll take you to my podcast and um, my Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. And, and you can hear me and listen and read me talk about all these ideas at length. Will, I've enjoyed my time thoroughly. Thanks for being a good sport and spending so much time with the Ideas Digest friends of the show. It's been absolutely a pleasure.